0: Dr. Miles Monroe,
1: welcome you to the opportunity to transform
0: your life. Did you know that you possess the power and the responsibility to determine your future and destiny? Did you know that you are the sum of the choices and decisions you make every day? However, the ability to make the right decisions for a life that leads to your God-given destiny depends on your quality of knowledge. Self-development demands self-discipline. It is our desire to see your life transform through the message on this tape. Prepare to receive as we join this opportunity to grow and expand as we inspire you and motivate you to achieve your greatest in God's purpose for your life. Sit back now and listen to a message that is designed to destroy ignorance and empower you to become an effective human on this planet as you inspire others to reach their highest potential. Let us join the seminar in progress. This segment we're going to be dealing with this aspect of the kingdom of servant kings or the kingdom of servant rulers. The title of our subject today is a paradox, isn't it? because you never hear of kings being servants. But the kingdom of God is the only kingdom where the king is the servant. In the normal traditional kingdoms, the king is served by his subjects. But in the kingdom of God it's reversed. The king serves, if you will, the citizens. Secondly, in this kingdom, there are no subjects, because everybody is a king. So the entire kingdom is a kingdom of kings, and the kingdom of kings operates on service. When we think about the kingdom of God then, there's some questions I want to ask to myself. The kingdom of God is really the only gospel that's supposed to be preached. Everything that God is doing and has done is about a kingdom. I want to write some statements here. You can put this in your notes. The first statement I want to make is that the gospel of the kingdom is the good news about a kingdom. That's what the gospel is the gospel the word gospel write it down please the word gospel has a meaning the word gospel is is a from a greek word the greek word for gospel is the word evangelium evangelium that's the word for gospel evangelium means good news or good report so the gospel is not the message. The gospel is a description of the message. Are you with me? So when someone tells you they are preaching the gospel, you should ask which one. Because the word gospel simply means good news. (laughs) If I told you that I just found out you got a raise on your job, is that gospel? Is it? Come on, answer me. Yeah. I can't see that. I see, I don't be religious this morning. You've problems to be religious this morning. The word gospel has become a religious word. It's not a religious word. It's a Greek word, evangelium, and it means good news or good report. So any good report in the day of Jesus was called a evangelium, a gospel. Are you following this? So if someone tells you, you just inherited a million dollars, is that gospel? Yeah, man, that's gospel. Matter of fact, you'd probably say, tell me the gospel truth. What would you be saying? Tell me the good news truth. Okay, so gospel simply means good news. That's why Jesus never said, go and preach the gospel. He never told us that. He said, go and preach the gospel of something. In other words, there are a lot of Gospels around, but the Bible is about a specific particular Gospel. It's a specific good news. What kind of good news? Of the Kingdom of God. In the book of Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, make a note again. It says, And Jesus left the desert full of the Holy Spirit, and he began to preach. And then it quotes, the kingdom, he said repent, for the kingdom, which is kingdom of what? Of God has arrived. That was his gospel. So the good news is that a kingdom has come back to earth. The good news is a kingdom gospel. So that statement is important. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news about a kingdom. It's not about a religion. It's not about uh, some feeling or, or some club. The good news is about a kingdom. Everybody say kingdom. That's what Jesus preached. Kingdom. Now, the second statement, the gospel of the kingdom is the only true gospel. In other words, there is no other good news than the kingdom of God. The only thing that Jesus preached was the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. I'm praying all the way through this message. (laughs) The kingdom is not heaven. The kingdom is called the kingdom of or from or out of heaven. (laughs) So heaven is not the kingdom. Praying, man. It's religious stuff I deal with. The problem with the church is that the church has been preaching something God didn't tell it to preach. Okay, you listen to me carefully this morning. The devil has a strategy that never fails, it seems. The devil has found the most effective way to deal with you. I'm going to give you the secret, okay? I'm going to give you Satan's most effective strategy. Write it down. Satan's most effective strategy is to preoccupy you with good things. Everybody say good things. Say it again. Satan's most successful weapon against you is not to make you do bad things because you do smart for that see the fact that you are here this morning means that you got some moral convictions I believe I mean if you come to a place like this obviously there's some standards in your life that you pursue there's some values in your life that you hold dear Uh, you are religious, hopefully, and religious people are full of moral conscience, even though they violate it most of the time. Okay, uh, but they, at least they got a conscience. You know, they, they they believe that they should do good things. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, Satan will never come to you and tell you to go rob a bank. Why? He know you won't do that. You too smart for that. Your value system won't allow you to do that. Uh, Satan wouldn't come to tell you to go kill somebody, would he? No. He used people who have lower morals. They would do that thing. But people like you, you're good people. You know, Satan likes good people. His difficulty with good people is he can't get them to do bad things. So what he does, his effective strategy is to get them to do good things that are not right. If you did everything good except what I told you to do, you was wrong. Is that true? Is that right? Is that true? Yes. If you did everything good, perfectly good, but it wasn't what I told you to do, you're still wrong. If I ask you, no, if I tell you, I want you to cook. Steamed grouper. And you spend all day making con chowder. Did a good job. It tastes perfect. Is that a good thing you did? Yes. Yes. See, that's where you're wrong. That's why Satan got you. Because when you're doing good things, you think it's right. I'm getting at something here. Satan's best strategy against the church is not to make the church do bad things. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was very clear about what the church's job is supposed to be, what our assignment was. It was very clear. He even didn't leave the message up to us. He specified what we want to teach. He said, you go into all the world and this gospel of the Kingdom is to be preached into all the world. Only preach that. That's the good news. He says, "Don't tell them about anything else." You preach the gospel of, because there's a lot of gospel. He says, "But the one of the kingdom of God." That's what I want you to preach. Nothing else. You don't preach nothing else. Satan is smart. Watch this. Satan has successfully. Influence the church to preach good things except the kingdom. Matter of fact, I'm going to say some very dangerous things right now, so I pray for myself. Satan has actually reduced the gospel, oh dear, to, oh dear, Jesus. Satan has made the church make the gospel Calvary. Uh, by the way, today's service is for advanced people. So the fact that you're here means God considers you advanced. Okay. Satan has made the church make the gospel the resurrection. He has made you preach as the gospel the blood. Ah, you see, that's tough. Because everything I listed just now is what you've been taught. Is the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. He rose again. Shed his blood. That's the good news. That is not the good news. That's not what the Bible says. Take a deep breath. See? But that's what you've been taught. Satan has done a successful job in making the church sell a product God didn't give them to sell. I mean, could you imagine? Telling a religious leader in the Bahamas or America in the church that the good news is not Jesus. How about this one? It's not the blood. Oh my God. Blasphemy, me Dr. Monroe. What are you talking about? The blood will never lose the power. I'm not talking about the power. I'm talking about the gospel. What are we supposed to be preaching? Let me tell you something. The devil is not a fool. The devil, knows he can't make you preach heresy. So he makes you preach the minor instead of the major. He makes you make, watch this, the means, the end. Jesus, I know it don't sound good, right? Right now it don't sound good. Jesus is not the gospel. He's not the good news. He bought the good news. He told us what the good news is. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom has come back. He said, that's the good news. The good news is not me. The good news is this kingdom. You can get back in. Hallelujah. So one day, listen carefully now, one day I was in Virginia Beach. I was sitting in a hotel conference auditorium. I was sitting at a panel table with all the big ministers of America. Somewhere in the audience, somewhere at the panel with me. And I was the only person from out of the world or the town Most handsome, obviously, and the youngest. These were old men. If I call their names, you know all of them. Big names in the United States. These are the the theologues and the evangelists of all renown. And here I was, and I was the only one with my pigmentation sitting at that table too. And they were discussing deep theological issues. One of them, they finally got around to was... What is the gospel? And I never said a word because I knew I was a dangerous man. I was quiet. And they all went on to their deep discussions. And then finally, one of the elder statesmen of the church turned around on the table and he says, "Uh, We have Dr. Munro here and he's being quiet. And and we want to hear what is your opinion? What is your view of the gospel? What is the gospel? I took a deep breath. the room is packed and all these big theologues are there and I said boy I'm going to get in trouble so I said first of all sirs I have no opinion because if I give that that's mine I said but my government says and that's the way I started I said my government says based on the constitution that the gospel is not Thou must be born again. The room went quiet. They felt a ricochet. The table turned cold. I continued. See, they asked me. Shouldn't they ask me? I said, Jesus never preached once to the public. Thou shall be born again. It's not in the Bible, sirs. And if any of you gentlemen, well learned in your craft, can show me in scripture, where Jesus ever preached born again, I will recant my statement, and I will refuse to ever say this again. The room was quiet. And I waited for a few minutes, to make sure they could bring it to me. Because they all got Bible. I said, secondly, Jesus only mentioned born again once in the four gospels. In one chapter to one man, two o'clock in the morning. What have they been preaching all the time in the Bible? Born again. have hey, we been born again? Jesus never preached it. Never once. what made him mention born again that's a good question and i asked the gentleman i said what made him mention it i said because an old man couldn't sleep why because the old man was attending his crusade that the following the, the day before and the old man heard him speak about a subject called the kingdom of God. And the old man got so excited. He says, I want to join that kingdom. I want citizenship. And the old man couldn't sleep. So the old man got up in the middle of the night and walked with his Latin in the night. And he went to the house where he knew Christ was sleeping. He knocked on the door and woke up the house. And he asked Jesus, what was the question? The question is important. He said, Sir, I know that you are a man sent from God. Because no man can do the things you do except God sent him. Then he says, And I would like for you to tell me this question. How can I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus said, No problem. Except a man be born again. He cannot enter what? The kingdom of God. Born again is not the gospel. And born again is not the kingdom. Born again is the way in. Boy, I'm treading on theological property here. Get this tape and give it to all your enemies. And listen carefully. So at the end of my discourse, the room was quiet. Of course, I was very confident because I knew I had him. You can't find it in the Bible. So I, I relaxed. I smiled. Hey, buddy, went into shock. And one of the big name boys, sitting up front, held his hand up. He said, Uh Can I make a comment? And the chairman of the committee said, sure. He stood up and he said, you know, and he put his language on me. He said, you know, Dr. Monroe has said some very serious things. He said, and uh, I have a problem with what he says. He says, even though what he says may be true, In that see? He said, you know, but I'm confused, he said, didn't Paul the apostle say, I preach Christ on him crucified. Maybe Dr. Munro can help us by explaining Paul's statement about what he preached. So I smiled because I expected that question. Because that was the question I asked God when God messed up my theology. So I was ready. See, we forget that the Holy Ghost knows the Bible. (laughs) He wrote the thing. So the room was mumbling. Little Everybody figure, boy, oh, we got the man from the Caribbean now. So I was quiet and the chairman turned and said, Dr. Monroe, help us. I said, you know, it's incredible that I am in the midst of distinguished theologians, men of learning, Who's supposed to know the basic fundamentals of hermeneutics. That you never take a verse out of context. Rome was quiet. I said I am shocked. That men of such high learning of biblical text. Would quote a verse. To question. A theological statement. I said, however, I will answer the question. I said, first of all, I am not telling you anything new, because you are theologians, but you know you should never take a verse out of the Bible and use it as a defense, because every verse must have a context. And a context consists of a pretext, a post text, a text, and an environment. And therefore, for you to translate and interpret a verse properly you must make sure you keep it in context and I said you all know and you taught me because some of y'all are my teachers that when Paul made that statement he was not referring to what he preached he was defending an issue against the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees who were attacking him over the issue that he was telling the Gentiles that they can get saved by works And Paul was stressing that no, that Christ did all the work and therefore he preached or he tells the Gentiles that Christ is the way for salvation. I said, is that not so? And everybody said, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, however, let me settle the issue on Mr. Paul. I want to show you what Paul preached. And I asked them to do what I'm going to tell you to do now. Please turn to Acts chapter 28. Let's find out what Paul preached. Tell your neighbor, I used to be a Christian. Now I'm a citizen. Acts 28. I want you to read this now. Very important verse. Acts 28. Found it? Okay. Now, everybody say context. Whenever you read the Bible, remember you got to read the Bible in what? Come on students, say it context you never take a verse out and use it so let's get a context chapter 28 of Acts the context is Paul the Apostle is under house arrest what is house arrest in our modern day it's what what's the word not probation parole everybody say parole That's called house arrest in the Bible. Paul was on parole. Now, why was Paul on parole? In chapter 28, remember, this is the last part of Paul's life, right? Paul was was what? Uh, In chapter 26 and 27, Paul is what? He's before King Agrippa, remember? Paul demanded, I want to take my trial to Rome because I'm not getting a fair trial here uh, in Ephesus and, and these places. So he said, I want to go to Rome. So he demanded to go to Rome. They put him on a ship. Remember, the ship fell apart and everybody was okay. But he went, finally got there. Paul went on trial, stood before the judge, and the king was there, and Paul defended his position. He said, look, I am not commanding insurrection. I'm not upsetting Caesar's kingdom, and I'm a citizen of this, this Roman empire. You guys are, are trying to lie on me. And Paul defended himself to the teeth. And the, the Roman government didn't know what to do with Paul because Paul defended himself correctly. So they said, look, Paul is causing so much trouble because Paul, even though we can't put him in jail because we can't find him guilty of anything, we're going to have to put him under house arrest, because if we let him go free, he can take this mess of this kingdom all over the place, and he can keep turning the cities upside down. So they decided, I'm trying to give you the context now, in chapter 28, they decided, what we'll do is, we'll put Paul on on parole. Now parole means, you are under the government's protection. Are you with me? You are under the government law. You under the the, the 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 penal code or whatever the system in other words you can't travel where you feel like you can't go where you want to anymore but you're still not locked up so they they give you your boundaries you can't go out of certain boundaries you following me then they secondly they put people to watch you now in the bahamas and in america they call them payroll officers parole officers parole officers those people they are really in part of the legal system aren't they they work for the government and they watch you they check on you to see if you keep in you know in line with what the government wants if you violate that then you go back you know to jail so paul was on parole is that clear he was not locked up he wasn't in prison at this time but they put him in a government house the government rented a house for paul put him in it and told him he can't go out now this is deep this is very exciting let me tell you why everybody smile everybody say god is smart okay paul worked most of his life doing what? Missionary work. Paul was busy. The busiest man in the New Testament is Paul. Ain't nobody work harder than Paul. Paul traveled to Asia minor three times. That means Paul went all the way up, you know, all through Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Paul traveled to Corinth, Paul went all the way up to Rome, went all the way up to Greece. I mean Paul was a busy guy and everywhere he went he preached, he did established churches, ordained ministers, trained young leaders, trained elders, trained deacons. Paul worked it, working, it, worked it, work it. He'd come back, he would rest. Get up again, gone again. Traveling all over. Asia Minor. Paul went to Russia. Paul went everywhere. Just traveling. Macedonia, everywhere. Preaching, preaching, preaching. Build churches, train people, develop. Uh, pastoral leadership he did this work he had Timothy and Titus and Bartholomew and Barnabas I mean everybody the guy's working Paul working hard and Paul's so busy working he ain't got time to write so God says look Paul the last thing I told you you have to do before you die was what? remember? you must preach before the king remember that? don't remember that eh? act like you remember say yeah okay remember when God knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus, that Jesus said to him, "Thou shalt be a witness to me to the Gentiles, and you shall preach to the king." That was a part of the deal. So Paul didn't preach to the king yet until chapter 26 and 27. So Paul finally did what? The last assignment. So he's finished now. God said, good. You built the church. You got the Gentile church started. You got all them guys ordained. Timothy and all these fellas. You got the elders in place. The church is strong all over the place. Paul, you did a good job. Now, Paul, we're going to set you up. Tell you what we're going to do. We can get you arrested, but we ain't going to get you locked up. Why? Because you got a right. You're all slow. You got to follow me. Because i tell you what. I'm going to pay your rent. See, let me tell you something. When you're the house arrest, the government pays for the house. They pay for your clothes, your laundry, they feed you, they take care of you, and they give you personal (laughs) gods. My goodness, I so love God, man. Oh, he is so heavy. What Satan means for evil? God always turns to good. So guess what, Paul is now, watch Paul. Paul can't travel. Everybody say praise the Lord. See, if Paul didn't stop traveling, you wouldn't have First like Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians. Guess when they were written? In chapter twenty-eight. Paul was stuck in this house under house arrest. He can't go no place. So what he gotta do now? He gotta write letters to all these people. These churches he started. Y'all get it? God's deep man. Sometimes God. Now you get an accident, break your leg, put you home. He could heal you instantly, but he don't. And here you are later in the hospital for weeks. God said, "Okay, now write that program or that book. That somebody's supposed to be writing a long time. Write that music, why? Because you wouldn't stay one place. Come on, man, what's the wisdom of God? <laughs> Sometimes God would park you for a while. Why? He said, "Man, I'm trying to get you. You too busy now. Okay, slow down, and He'll park you." He could heal you, you know, but he won't because he wants you to do some other things. So here's Paul stuck in this rented house, paid for by the government. Watch this. Clothing provided by the government, food provided by the government, water provided by, protection provided by the government. All paul got to do is get up and write every day. Come on, praise the Lord. That's deep. And in that house, Paul writes, Corinthians Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians. Thessalonians, He, Philemon, the guy writes the whole New Testament under house arrest. Everything provided. What's he doing now? He's sending these, what are these called? Epistles. What's an epistle? A letter. Who's he writing to? He tells you. To the Galatian church in Galatia. That's where we go in later on this year. He wrote. To the Thessalonica church in Thessalonia. That's what you get the names from. These are letters. He wrote in the house arrest. Now, here's my point. These are Paul's final years. He's about to die. It's in this house when Paul wrote Timothy and says, I have finished my course. That's the house he wrote it in, in chapter twenty eight. I have kept the faith, son. I'm now ready to be offered, son. I'm going to get my crown. So, son, keep running the race. You know, be strong, Timothy. I'm getting out of here. Why? I preach to the king. I'm ready to leave. Paul's in his house. Everybody say, wind it up. Now, when does a person give their most important words? On their dead bed. This house is Paul's dead bed. Paul dies in his house. So whatever happens in this house is the poor and most important words. So let us read now a man and the house arrest. Let's find out what he's preaching to these people. Ready? Chapter twenty eight. Everybody read this. This is very important. Acts twenty eight. Let's begin reading with verse twenty eight. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And they will what? Listen. Okay. What is Paul saying here? At the end of his life, he's keeping his what? His focus. Paul says, look, I was assigned to the Gentiles when I was younger. i old now. Getting ready to die. And i still thinking for the Gentiles. I told the folks in the first service, when God gives you an assignment, you got to stay with it. Are you listening to me? <laughs> this ministry... Was raised up and our assignment is to develop leadership to teach people how to become leaders so if you get tired of my message on leadership you got to go to another church in other words paul didn't adapt his ministry to please the people he stayed faithful to the assignment to the gentiles he said i love the jews but my assignment is to the gentiles we were raised to reach the third world nations That's all the Caribbean, Africa, South America, Central America and the Asian seas. And that's why our ministry is in 78 countries now and growing. Why? That's where we, God put our burden. Those countries are opening up to us so easily because it's God's call on our life. Next week, Monday, I'll be in Ghana meeting with the new president. He wants to see me. So all expense paid, I go to Ghana. Next week, Monday, meet with the president. Sit down and talk to him but God. Now, why would God open a door like that and open it for the mother people in America? I don't know. It's just where your call is, that's where your favor is. Paul stayed with the Gentiles. That's why Paul was so successful. Bahamas faith ministries must not be compared to any other church in the Bahamas. We ain't competing with nothing. We stay in true to what God told us to do. To raise up people, to have dominion and take leadership and control the world with the kingdom of God and impact the world with their authority and their leadership. It's our assignment. we got to stay true to that. So Paul, right to the end, he's true to the Gentiles. Now look at the next, the next verse, verse 29. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his what? own rented house with the next statement. What? <laughs> uh, what does the NIV say? No, read really, it, it, it. you see the word God there Anyone got the word God? G U A R D. You see it You see that? You see that? It's not in that Bible. I need a good Bible. Let me read it for you. It says here that Paul stayed in his rented house under God. That's important. Here's the way it's written. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And this word rented here has to do with the government paying for it. And it's referring to the guard, the guarded concept of Paul, of the house. It says he stayed in his own rented house, Welcome all who came to see him. Paul couldn't leave. Now, he was under arrest, but he couldn't, but he wasn't in prison that's why they came to see him okay let's get the context here paul has a lot of churches all over the place that he started but guess what they can't see him anymore right why he's under house arrest so they got to come to who to him who comes to paul the young pastors that he ordained people like timothy titus and philemon i mean all these folks are apollos and uh, Priscilla, and Aquila, everyone's coming to see Paul because Paul can't go to them anymore. And then along with them are coming what? Those who, he, who he's training, who they're training, bring them to see the apostles. This is the apostles started our church. They come to see Paul. They come to get guidance. They come to get wisdom. come to get direction from Paul. Then they also bring, of course, people who, who are uh, inquisitive. You know, folks who are frustrated with life, they say, boy, you know, if I could just go see this guy who started church, maybe he can help me. So if all these pagans would come to see Paul, and he would try to help them, uh, And then the, the other big deal is, do you know that Caesar's house was becoming a Christian house? Did you all know that? When Paul went to Rome, trouble started. All the folks who live in Caesar's house started becoming converted. So in the Bible, in these books, you find Paul saying, I greet you. Along with the saints in Caesar's house. I mean, people who was working for Rome became believers, because Paul was in Rome. Don't hang around Paul so no long; you get saved. And then remember, Paul before the king, he started teaching about the kingdom. The king says, "Now you better shut up, otherwise you can make me also a believer." He told the soldiers, "Take this man out of here before I start also believing in Jesus Christ." Paul was an awesome. Minister. Now, what made Paul so effective in his ministry? I'm about to show you right now. It's because of what he preached. So there's a long line of people coming in, in and out, streaming in, and Paul's helping them. As they come in, he gives them his information, helping them and counsel and teaching and so forth. Let's read what he says. For two whole years, two last years of his life, He welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached what? He preached what? The kingdom of God and then did what? And he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what did he preach? The kingdom of God and then he did afterwards? He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. What did he preach? The kingdom of God, but what did he teach? Jesus Christ. What did he preach? Kingdom, what did he teach? Jesus. What did he preach? Kingdom of God. What did he teach? Jesus Christ. What did he preach? Kingdom of God. To preach means to publicly declare. Preaching is not teaching. What I'm doing right now is not preaching. You're not supposed to preach in the church. Write that down please. You don't go to church meetings to get preached at. To preach means to publicly declare to the world. Teaching takes place in the church setting. Jesus never preached to his disciples. Come on, you read the Bible and it says halfway you know that's true. Just a little bit of the Bible read, you know that's true. If you read just Matthew, you know that's true. Just one book. The Bible says he would preach to the multitudes, but then he would take his disciples aside and he would teach them. You preach to who? Multitudes. But you teach who? Disciples. You don't preach to disciples. That's why you come here, you want a good sermon to make you shout. See, that that's that that ain't me. I want you to sit down and get instruction. To teach means to instruct for change. Write that down. To teach means to instruct for change. To preach means to declare a message. Whew. Listen carefully back. Jesus ministering through Paul, was so effective because Paul got it right. Now, What you read just now is Paul's priorities. What's the priority? You preach the kingdom first. Then you teach about Jesus Christ. This is important. What the church has done is reverse this thing and that's why we can't win the world. Nicodemus Was not looking for Jesus. Was he? No. He was looking for the kingdom. Let me tell you something. Now this is tough to teach. Let me tell you this. Listen carefully friends. Got to go with me here now. Got to go with me. Tell him I'm not in okay. Uh, Go with me. Listen. Look at me. Look. Go with me. Look. Look look at me. Look. It's very serious. Very dangerous stuff. We have been preaching to the world something they cannot understand. It's unfair to teach to the world Jesus Christ. They don't know what you're talking about. When you're talking about the blood, they don't know what you're talking about. We talk about, you know, the Calvary and redeeming blood. They don't know what you're talking about. Listen to me, young people. I want you to get this. Listen to me. The problem is, we've been telling the world about something we're supposed to tell them about. Let me explain it this way. Jesus never told the multitudes about Calvary. Read your Bible man. I read it 31 times so you can't argue with me. But read it for yourself. Check it out. He never preached to the multitude about Calvary. He never tell them about the blood. He never talked to them, you know, about how he's going to be, you know, killed and ransomed for them. He never told them that. The Bible says he only preached to them, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the king, he is the kingdom. But it says he took his disciples aside and he began to share with them how he will die and how he will be ransomed, how he shed his blood for many. He told them that was family business. Are you with me do you understand what i'm saying when we start talking about the blood will never lose the power that's church talk that's that's family talk the sinner or death ain't the blood don't have no interest no man dying on no cross and no blood that's why the fellas ain't saved yet that's why your uncle ain't say your mind ain't say pie ain't say Why? because you keep telling them about the wrong stuff first let me tell you what they what, what, what they, what they want to deal with. They want to deal with, how do I pay my bills? How do I survive this pressure? How do I find another a job? How do I overcome my problems? How do I have victory over sickness? How do I make a living that works? The kingdom answers that. On your job about, but I don't know what you do. Paul says, when you speak in tongues, he says, only speak it in the church. Why? That's family language. Don't go on the wharf uptown up or up in the, 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 the food store speaking in tongues. You, you're messing up the whole thing, man. You don't go in the public saying, thank you, Jesus. No, 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 no. That's family talk. Take a load off, man. Don't put yourself under pressure like that. Don't pressure. Hello. Jesus never preached to the multitudes about his death. And guess what you've been doing for the past 2,000 years. Satan did a good job. Satan look, I'm going to make the gospel bad news. I'm going to let them tell him about blood and about death. About hell and. I mean, listen to an average sermon in your country 10% about good things, 90% about hell, sin, degradation, you're gonna die, you're gonna perish. You're gonna... I mean, just bad news! You talk, am I, am I just crazy or what? It's bad news, David. People, what are we preaching to these people? Do you know something? The Bible says, Now tell me this why would little children run up to Jesus? Why would rich men all follow him? Why would five thousand men alone, just breathless? Want to hang out with him for three days. Why would women and men leave their farms and fishing villages and come out and spend four days? They said they loved what he was saying, they says. Because he was telling them about citizenship in a kingdom that could give them a higher lifestyle. That they ain't got to be subjected to Rome's local government foolishness. They understood. So Jesus had Paul work it out. Paul says, you know something? Now watch this. Paul says, I can preach the kingdom. Then I will teach about Jesus Christ. In other words, you only teach Jesus Christ to people after they believe in the kingdom. You tell them about all the deep stuff I'm talking about when you get in. You know, he said, listen, man, he said, Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. The disciple says Now, master, okay, master, you know, they in the back room talking right in the tent. They said, Now, master, now look, we tired of this, you know. Every time you go to the public, you tell them these parables of the kingdom. He said, But you don't tell, you know, you you to us differently. They said, Why don't you tell them what you tell us? That was their question. His answer was very simple. He said, Look, it is only given to you to know the keys of
1: the kingdom
0: the keys now they'll know about it but you will know how to operate in it I'm teaching you how the thing works he said now when they come in then we'll give them keys too by the way it isn't say it never says keys to the kingdom don't miss this series it's going to be good it is keys what? Oh, okay. See, you got some keys. If you own a house, you got some keys. Okay? You got more than one key, you know. All your room doors get locks. You know, if it's a normal house, you get locks. You can lock different you know, in, 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 in the locks, right? Am I right? I mean, you know, you got different rooms. You got, they can lock. Bedrooms, you know, stuff. Okay. But there's one key that gets you in your house, right? Once you get in the house, if every door is locked, you still got to get in the house is it? You're in the house, but you can't have access to all the different rooms. So you need what? The keys, the plural, of your house. Christ gets you in the house. i will show you that in a minute. But after you're in, you've got to learn how to get in all the rooms to enjoy all the pleasures. It's a kingdom. Paul says, look, I'm going to preach the kingdom of God, and then when you get in, I'll tell you about Jesus. I'll explain the blood, I'll get deep and talk about redemption, reconciliation, appreciation. Let me say one more thing about Paul. Very important, listen carefully. I want you all to be wise citizens. The epistles, everybody say epistles. Boy, everyone please get this tape, please. You got to get this in your spirit. The epistles are what? It's another word for what? Letters. Letters. Okay, so Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, they are all what? Letters. These are not books. Now, (laughs) why did Paul write these books, these letters? Because Paul was dealing with issues that was going on in the churches that he started with problems. Are you with me? So, listen carefully now. So these letters are not Paul's gospel. They are Paul dealing with problems. So in Corinth, he deals with morality, he deals with sexual problems, because the people sleeping with their daddy in the daddy and the mother of an incest man. That's in Book Corinthians. The church in disarray, but he prophesied And the time, Paul trying to correct problems. So he gave him this discussion about, you know, about the you know, Holy Spirit and you know, control of the Spirit and stuff. He said, Man, bring order to the church, man. Stop doing that. So, so you read his books. Okay? In Ephesians, he's dealing with the gift that the people gave him of money. He's thanking them for the gift. In, in, in Philippians, he thanks another. Uh, uh, church for the gift. In Ephesians, he talks about the people who were trying to discuss whether Jesus Christ was God. So in Ephesians, he said, look man, he's God. He's under all things, in things, all things. He explained in letters, he explained in problems. But this is not his, his message that he's preaching. Are you with me? Acts is important. Acts is, look, what Paul really preached was what? The kingdom of God. But then when you got in, he started to talk to you about Jesus Christ. So when you get on the radio, as i start preaching, what are you preaching? You hear a radio? Turn the radio on. You had a preacher's preach? The blood will never lose its power. And the sinner goes, what blood? What do I need blood for? I got to pay my bills. I got to take care of my tuition for my kids. I just lost my job. I ain't in no blood. See the problem? They ain't in no blood. into citizenship. They want to know how can I live a life that's worth living? How can I solve my problems? I want to solve my problems, man. I, you know? And so we preach this stuff, see? Paul didn't. Uh, one last point about this statement. Paul did what? Preach what? The kingdom of God. And then he did what? Taught about Jesus Christ. Guess what we do? We Preach about Jesus Christ, and we don't teach. That's why most Christians know nothing about the Kingdom of God. What they know about is Jesus Christ. How long the nails were in his hands, where the pierced for the side, what how many you know thorns, and, and they've been all the details about the death. You know where he was laid, what the tomb was like, and we you know the stone was rolled away. We you know all this stuff, but we don't know the Kingdom. Write this down. Jesus, oh Lord, this ain't going to come out right. Because I got religious people in here too. Jesus was (laughs) the means to the end. But we have made him the end. I'll be the sacrifice lamb for this generation if I have to be. If I can help the church get back to the real gospel. Words of Jesus. Words of Jesus. I am the door. I'm not the house. What do doors do? Doors are not the building. They are the way in. So he says, I am the way. I'm not the destination. Come on, your five. It, it's tough to deal with this. But listen to his words. You know what we do for 30 years after we get born again? We stay right there by the door, worshiping the door. I love you, door. It's a beautiful door. Great is thy faithful door. I mean, I love you door. Bless the door, my soul. Oh door, I love you door. And door say, Will you please get through me and go where you're supposed to go? And go enjoy the kingdom. He says, I am what? I am not the pen. I am the gate of the sheep pen. Listen to his words. You know, let me say something very deep. You realize that shepherds don't give sheep grass? I feel an anointing on my body right now. Revelation. Shepherds don't give sheep grass. Shepherd takes sheep to grass. He says, I am the good shepherd. I ain't got the grass, but I can take you to the kingdom where the grass is. I mean the sheep hanging around grass, I mean hanging around a shepherd all night. Sheep was starved to death. I love you, shepherd. There, there. Shepherd said, Look, you better go eat. Listen to the words of God. Jesus said, Look, he says, He says, Here's the father's desire. The father will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll make you rule over many. He says, enter thou into the joys of the Lord. In other words, go in and enjoy yourself. Kingdom. Hallelujah. Okay you own a shoe store, hey? hey, give an example, you own a sophisticated shoe store, you got shoes, right? steak leather, calf leather, deep people, okay, so you own a shoe store, and you want to sell your expensive quality shoes to the people in the Bahamas, everybody follow me, follow me now, okay, so, if you want to sell, you want to make your shoes available to the, to, to the market, what, what would you do, okay, you would advertise, right, sure, guess what advertisement is, Preaching. What does preach? To declare publicly. So every advertisement on television or radio is preaching. Are you with me? Christ went to, the Bible says, the marketplace. He was in marketing. Marketing his gospel, his good news, his product. So now here you are, you got this expensive, beautiful shoe store. You invested all these billions of dollars in these shoes, man. You got an awesome shoe store. And now you want to open it for the market to come. Watch me now. What do you do? Here's what you do you advertise. Here's your advertisement Hi. I want you to come down to Shoe World International. Fantastic shoe store. The door is beautiful, it's a golden door with silver hinges. It has mirror glasses on the door. The door is fantastic. It's made of wood overlaid with gold. The door is six feet high, five feet wide. The door has purple color. The handle is gold. The brass ringes around the side. The door is awesome. If you ever seen this door, you won't believe it. It's a fantastic, magnificent door. Awesome door. The door is wonderful. What a door. I'm telling you, friends, you don't want to miss this door. This door will mesmerize you. It's an awesome door. I say to you, come to the door and see the door. Bye. The ad is over.
1: <laughs>
0: right. I'd laugh too. How many shoes you gonna sell? Who come into your store? No. Oh. Anybody won't buy no door. Jesus told Nicodemus and all the multitude about the Jews. In my father's kingdom, there's treasure. If you seek first the kingdom, you don't got to worry about food and clothing. What I will eat, what you will wear, what you will drink. My father cares for the birds. You know, he'll care. the kingdom for you. The kingdom of God got everything you need. Man, it has house and land and you? He said, no man leaves house and land for me. And don't receive hundredfold when you come to the kingdom. The kingdom got all the house and land and food and water and jobs and businesses. The kingdom got everything in it. Nicodemus heard that. Nicodemus he said, hey, I tried this religion. He woke Jesus. He said, wake up, wake up, sir. Eyes in you. I ain't interested in you. I am interested in this kingdom you just talked about. Christ says, no problem. He says, I am the door. (sighs) Write this down. Jesus is not the kingdom. Oh, that's so tough on religious people. Yes, he's God. Yes, he died for you, but he died for you to get you something. Nikki says, Look, I want to go in. Christ is no problem. I am the way. He never says I am the destination. What do you do, door, What do you use doors for? Doors are used, write it down, doors are used to move from one dimension to another. When you go to this room, you go to that door, you go from the sanctuary to the lobby. Different dimension. You go to another set of doors, you go from the lobby to the parking lot. See, doors take you from one dimension to another. Christ says he's the door, he's not the room. Boy, you're quiet, anyhow. Let me just read one more because then we can pick up here next time. Eh? Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Tell your neighbor, this is good. Tell somebody, I should have heard this 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been so religious. It's rough, eh? I mean, religion, the devil is awesome. He really is. The guy is smart. You know what the Bible calls him? A deceiver. A deceiver is just give you enough truth to make you think it right. A deceiver don't tell you open lies, you know. He tells you just enough truth to make it sound good. So here you are preaching Jesus, and the devil says, Go on, preach it, brother, preach it. Preach Jesus, brother. Right? They'll never see the kingdom. Just keep on preaching Jesus. Matthew 24, 25, 25, 25, page, 25. Look at this. I'm going to wrap down with this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Who, who will say this? Who is the king? Jesus. Everybody say, King Jesus. Ooh, the king is talking. The king says what? Come, you who are blessed of my father. Who is he talking to? You. Take your inheritance. Which is not the king. Read what your Bible says. He says, you don't inherit me. What do you inherit? Read it. Take your inheritance, the kingdom which was prepared for you from the creation of the world. Rest my case. Hey boys, inheritance. Okay, let me explain what he's talking about. How long does kingdom belong to you? Come on, read it. What does it say in the Bible? It belonged to you from when? From the foundation of the world. God says, look, this is yours Oh, man. Ooh. What is inheritance? Inheritance means something that is yours by legal right. You ain't begging for this kingdom. It's yours. But guess what? You lost the papers for it in the garden. Come on, talk to me, man. Okay. Let me give an example of this, all right? Okay, Bev. Your father left you 10 million dollars. Sound good, right here. 10 million US dollars in the bank, he left. But you were six years old when he left it. So he made me the trustee and the executor. Now, executor of an estate is somebody who have to keep it until the person grows to the age where they can now claim it legally. Are you with me? Okay, so now I... Have the authority over the 10 million dollars. So I'm between you and the 10 million dollars. Now if I am between, they call me what? The mediator. Christ is the mediator between God and man. Between the kingdom and you. He's the mediator. Now he's the executor. Now you can't get the 10 million until you qualify. When you qualify, then I have to give you. Jesus Lord follow me your inheritance now the 10 million was yours even when you were 6 before you even knew it was there it was yours it was yours from the foundation of your life it was there but you couldn't get it and I was the testator the mediator hallelujah hallelujah Now watch this. Now you are old enough to get it. You're born again now. Yeah, born again. Praise the Lord. Born again. Receive the Spirit. You're now a part fully of the qualified, mature family. You come to me. What do you do? You say, I qualify. Now, suppose Beverly just Looks at me and say, You handsome. You got beautiful suit. I like your buttons. Oh, your shoes are lovely. What a wonderful tie. You are so gloriously dressed. How wonderful thou art, oh Pastor Miles. How glorious I just so good to stare in your face, just to look at your face forever. To be in your presence, Pastor Miles, forever. And just she just sits there wish me for ten years. She died from hunger and poverty. Come on, talk to me. Why does she come to me? She ain't come to me for me. I have the key to her inheritance. All I need to do is to demand from her identification and qualification. She has the right age. She has the blood of the family. Everything is in order. Once that is in order, I cannot keep her from her $10 million. Read that verse again. The king will say, Who talking? The king, man. The king said, "Look, no, This ain't about me. It's about you. And name of me, it's about this kingdom that was always yours. But I'm in the way, he says, and I'm the one who came to bring you back to your inheritance. Kingdom of God. And that's what this whole book you got in your hand is about. It's not about religion. It's not about joining some denomination and denomination. It's not about you, you know, being religious. This thing is about you understanding that you are in a kingdom of citizenship. Everybody say kingdom. Say it loud. A little louder, please. Shout it loud. Shake the roof. Shake your lungs up. It's about a kingdom. i wrap up on this. When you are a kingdom citizen, it means that you got legal rights to the government. And I suggest to you that we have been so religious that's why we ain't getting nothing from God. We just... And, and believe me, I know how frustrating it is. You know, my, my life changed when I understood this thing, man. Changed. The kingdom is a mentality as well you receive the spirit but you got to get training okay some of you in this room were not born in the Bahamas you were born somewhere else some of you decide to become a citizen of the Bahamas now let me ask you a question when you <laughs> when you become a citizen of a country do you become a citizen because you attached to the prime minister or the president of the country no, you don't come to the country to the prime minister or to the president. If you go to America and become a citizen, you don't go there because of Bush. You don't become okay, remember this way. You become a citizen not of Bush, but of what? Of the constitutional status of the Americas. In other words, who do you pledge your allegiance to when you become a citizen? Not to the prime minister or the president. You pledge allegiance to who? The Constitution. Listen carefully, this is important. So the person who is the king or the president or the prime minister, they are not the reason for your allegiance. Take a change. You become a citizen of the constitutional status of a country. Am I right? So if the prime minister dies, you're still a citizen. Yes, the point of making is when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God you literally change countries. (laughs) Jesus excuse me, Jesus told Pilate watch Pilate. Jesus said, Pilate my kingdom is not of this world. I am in the world, but not of the world. Oh, this is
1: going to be this is interesting.
0: So, tomorrow I am going to America. Guess what? I ain't going to become an American, you know. Talk to me. Here I am in America tomorrow. Walking in America. I am still a Bahamian. Genuine, 100% Bahamian. But I'm in another country. You're supposed to be in this world. But your citizenship is in heaven, the Bible says. Now, why when you get to the immigration, listen to me young people, when you get to immigration, what would they ask you for? Passport. What's your passport? Your citizenship. Then the immigration officer looks at your passport and he goes to the computer. He, he don't let you see what he's doing, right? What he's doing is, he's checking the number on your passport. And that brings up the information about you. In other words, they feed your ID into the system. Then they give you a card and they stamp it with a date and they say, You have authority to be in this country for a certain amount of time. While you are in this country, two things happen. Number one, we know where you're from, so that government will take care of you, and we know where you are, so we'll protect you while you're here, because we got an agreement with the government. Your government. Citizenship. <laughs> if anything goes wrong with you in the United States, they contact your government. <laughs> That means all of your government's authority follows you even in another country. Hey! So Jesus told, so Vampire says, now look, I can kill you or give you life. Christ says, now let's talk citizenship. You getting too sassy. He said, my kingdom is not of this world and right now if I give the signal, Come on, y'all talk to me. He says, You think silence means that them angels ain't waiting and ready? He said, if I give this signal right now, ten legions of angels. That's to see. Six thousand is a legion times ten. Sixty thousand angels. Only one moved the stone. Y'all don't understand what kind of government you got backing you up. Hey, I'm a dangerous man. Come on, devil. One guy moved a stone. Christ says 60,000 could come here today and wipe this castle out, Pilate. Why? Jesus shifted kingdoms. They maybe got a shift. See, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, young people, just remember, hey, I am in this world, but I'm not of this world. I am a member of the kingdom of God, and therefore that government is backing me up everywhere I go. They know where I am. They got me tied. And if anybody mess with me. Change your thinking. Change your thinking. See, you got, two, you got two governments, you know. One of them broke. <laughs> Am I right? You remember? Jesus was standing right next to these disciples, right next to them. And he looked at 5,000 people. He says, Okay, feed them. The disciples said, We only have. Well, that's your kingdom. Your kingdom, three robes, two fish. You got problems in your kingdom, <laughs> but not Jesus as well. He's in a kingdom of God. He's in another kingdom. So he said, so he looked at five thousand. He said, we got twelve baskets over already. You all miss it. You all miss it, man. He saw in his kingdom a different government supply. Come on, say amen, somebody. He said, look, based on this kingdom. We got three loaves and two fishes, but in this kingdom we got twelve baskets left over. So Christ was talking from another kingdom. He said, He didn't say how much you got. He just said, Feed them. As He concerned, we got more than enough. Tell your neighbor, shift kingdoms. This week, when you face a little tough time, you gotta decide now. Let's see now, where I gonna live now? You gotta, you, you gotta shift kingdom. See, the water bill come, light bill come, and you can't find no money, shift kingdom. i say, my God, Chelsea! I give up. A...
1: This tape is a product. Hi, this is Dr. Miles
0: Monroe. I'm welcoming you to the opportunity to transform your life. Did you know that you possess the power and the responsibility to determine your future and destiny. Did you know that you are the sum total of the choices and decisions you make every day? However, the ability to make the right decisions for a life that leads to your God-given destiny depends on your quality of knowledge. Self-development demands self-discipline. It is our desire to see your life transformed through the message on this tape. Prepare to receive. As we join this opportunity to grow and expand, as we inspire you and motivate you to achieve your greatest in God's purpose for your life, sit back now and listen to a message that is designed to destroy ignorance and empower you to become an effective human on this planet as you inspire others to reach their highest potential. Let us join the seminar in progress. priority of the kingdom. Say it again. Are you enjoying this series? I've been getting so many people stopping me along the way saying, Pastor, it's making sense. Well, there's nothing else to teach but the kingdom of God. This is the good news. For our visitors with us this morning, so glad you've come to join us wherever you are. God bless you. I know you've been welcomed already. I want to add my welcome to those who have done that for me as well. And thank you so much for fellowship with us this morning. I want you to get your Bibles, and if you will, turn with me to the book of Psalm 103. And then go over to Daniel. We're going to read Daniel chapter 2. We're going to talk about the priority of the kingdom of God. The entire motivation of God is His kingdom. Everything God is doing is motivated by His desire and His passion to have His kingdom established on earth. God already has a kingdom in heaven. Today we're going to hopefully learn, if we get to it, what a kingdom is. As a matter of fact, I think it's so important for us to study kingdom because the Bible is not a book about a republic. The Bible is not a democracy. The Bible is about kingdom. God's original purpose for creating the visible world was to establish his invisible kingdom on the visible world. That was his purpose for creation. So God's intent was to have his kingdom influence in the visible realm from the invisible. The invisible produced the visible. Please write that down. The invisible produced the visible. In other words, the visible world is not as real as the invisible world. The visible world is a reflection of the visible world. Keep writing. So whatever you see in the visible world has a corresponding reflection in the invisible world. Paul in his writings to the Corinthians says... We understand that the things which are seen came from those which are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but those that are unseen are eternal. That's why the invisible is more real than the visible. Because the visible is temporary. That's why it has to be sustained. God's plan was to have his invisible kingdom manifested in the visible world. Now, his program is very interesting. The way God planned to do this is very clear in Genesis. He planned to do it by having invisible children. That's what the word image means. Children in his own image, his own likeness. When I use the word children, please don't get me wrong, I'm really talking about sons. And the word sons in the Hebrew is not really relegated to males it simply means off spring something that springs off is called a son so God calls all of us sons whether we wear a male body or a female body we are called a son so a woman is a son of God that means a woman happens to be the house the gender house but the woman on the inside is a spirit and spirits have no gender so The the female is the house, but the spirit, the man, is a genderless spirit. That's why God calls us all man. Through these children, these sons called man, he intended to establish his visible kingdom. How's he going to do that? He got to give them a visible body, and then he made them a visible planet, and then he put them who are invisible, who are wearing a visible body, on the visible planet and then he says dominate that for me have dominion the word dominion means to govern to rule to control to manage to subdue a kingdom is a realm over which a king has dominion or influence or control or management or administration and that's what God wanted for you so you and I were created by God to administrate his kingdom on earth that's as simple as it is Adam was an administrator, he was a steward, he was a manager of planet earth and inside of Adam was everybody we see here today and all who are on the way. Adam was filled with everybody. So we are designed by God to dominate planet earth so that his king dominion could come to earth. Adam disobeyed God and forfeited his kingdom rights. He gave it over to an unemployed cherub we call Satan. Satan has then since been havoc all over this world. I mean, the guy has been ripping up God's beautiful program. And he's been doing it by using the kids even. Because he's contaminated their minds. he've depressed them. He has changed their concept of themselves. They don't even know who they are. As a matter of fact, the first thing that Adam felt when he fell was fear. He became what? Afraid of God himself. And then imagine the one whose image you are in, you become afraid of. What a tragedy. And of course, all of us became victims of that disobedience. We are now sons of disobedience. And then God sent the second Adam to come and correct the problem. His name is Jesus. What was the problem? Adam lost a kingdom. That was the problem. Adam did not lose heaven. So going to heaven is not God's objective for you. Heaven to me, uh, and according to the Bible, is a waiting place until the whole thing is consummated. But it's not your final destination. So if you died today, you would go to heaven. But you ain't going to stay there, because that's not God's official, original plan for you. Heaven is real. There is a place that is called heaven. The place where God himself is ruler and king and lord. That's his territory. But the earth belongs to us. Psalm 115, verse 15 and 16. So ever since Adam fell, God's been working on a program in the same chapter when the fall took place to put man back in charge of the kingdom on earth. In uh, Genesis 3.15, God said to Satan, The woman shall have a seed, and that seed shall come and crush your head. The word head means authority. He's going to take back the power you have and give it back to man. And in the process, you're going to bruise his heel. But he's going to crush your authority and take back the power. That was the promise. And ever since Genesis 3.15, God has been working on this program to bring back the authority in the hands of mankind. His goal was to eventually do it himself through Jesus Christ. So all through the Old Testament, God was attempting... To reintroduce man to his kingdom responsibility. Sitting next to you right now is a ruler. I have a, a series of tapes. One of them has been selling very well around the world. People have been ordering this tape all over the world. And I titled it. The kingdom of ignorant kings. And I did that because. We, that's what we are. We are a whole kingdom of kings. But we are. Ignorant concerning who we are, and what we are able to do, and what our powers are, what our authority. In other words, the greatest enemy of man is ignorance. It's really not sin, nor Satan. It's ignorance. What you don't know is killing you. So that's why God didn't send power to fix the earth. Because power is not our main problem. We got power. God sent a word to fix the earth. What is word? Knowledge. Christ came to give us the information of God or the revelation of God because we were suffering from ignorance. Didn't know who we were and still don't know who we are in most cases. And so we are victims of our own ignorance. And let me tell you something. The word for ignorance in the Bible is the word darkness. And Satan is called what? The prince of darkness. It means he rules by ignorance. That means Satan has no power except your ignorance. Whatever you don't know is what he uses to destroy you. But the word for knowledge in the Bible is the word light. And Jesus is called what? The light of the world. It doesn't mean he's glowing like a bulb. It means he came with information, with revelation. Why? Because that was our problem. We didn't know that we were kings. Didn't know this was our territory. We don't know that we are rulers on this place. That's why Satan is running our lives. He takes our bodies, destroys them with sickness, takes our lives and destroys them financially, destroys our marriages, messes up our kids, destroys everything we have, and because we don't realize the power we have. So when Jesus came, He came to give us revelation or information, not only about God really, but about us. He came to tell us who we are. I put it this way. Jesus Christ came to the earth to introduce you to yourself and that's why he said follow me and I'll make you to become real men who know how to fish in life follow means what imitate observe learn watch I'm gonna demonstrate this thing what did he do he walks on the water he speaks to fish he speaks to a tree it dies he casts out demons with a word he he points at things that happens I mean the guy will say hey that's how you do it when he's walking on the water one time Peter says can I come? He says, of course. This is what men do on earth. Come on, boy. And Peter stepped out there and started walking on the water. He spoke to the tree. The tree died. The disciple says, wow. He says, wow, what? If you speak to the mountains, they'll move. You don't know who you are, he says. So the whole thing about the kingdom of God is the reintroduction of this kingdom. In the book of Daniel, Real quickly, if you turn to this, we'll read this. Daniel knew about this kingdom. God gave him revelation, and Daniel two forty four says, "In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it will itself endure for how long? Forever." Daniel seven verse thirteen and fifteen to fifteen. It says, "In my vision at night, I looked." And there before me was one like the Son of Man. Sounds familiar? Coming with the clouds of heaven. Clouds means host of angels. It doesn't mean he coming in that white stuff you see above there. Clouds of what? Heaven. That means the host of angels. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. The ancient of days is who? The Father God. the, 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 The Godhead. Who was led into His presence? The Son of Man. Who is that? Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And it says He was led to Him. And He was given what? Authority, glory, and sovereign power over all people. Now let me stress here, friends. And I could be here for another two weeks just teaching on this one chapter. This one verse. What's He called in that verse? The Son of what? Man. Jesus adopted this statement this title for himself, no one gave it to him. He adopted it by himself. He started telling the people, I am the son of man. He was, he's telling them, what you read about, that was me. Now, we call him the son of God. Why does he call himself the son of man? In John chapter 5, he gives a reason why. Can we turn there for a second? It's kingdom stuff here. Everybody boy, say something's coming. Say it again, something's coming. In John chapter 5, Jesus was working a lot of miracles that day. He was healing people, cleansing people. He was opening blinded eyes. He healed a man at the pool of Siloam. I mean, he was doing a lot of miracles. And the people were impressed by what he did. And he was doing it with so much ease, they thought something about this guy, we got to find out. So, they, they actually asked Him about His authority. Look at, if you will, verse, verse uh, 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things, plural, many things, on what? The Sabbath day, the Jews persecuted Him. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. By the way, Uh, that statement is a dangerous statement. Uh, When is the Father working? What? You sure? That's a dangerous statement. When is the Father working? Are you sure? (laughs) When is the Father working? Always. So how many times does He work? Always. So the Father doesn't have a Sabbath day. I thought they said that God rested on the seventh day. What was their argument? The Sabbath. Who was his answer? God's always working. Now we got a problem with the Sabbath here. Maybe we don't know what Sabbath means. They say, don't work on the Sabbath. He says, my father's always working. You mean, Genesis chapter 2, we misunderstood it? When it says God worked six days and He rested on the seventh day? So on the seventh day He was still working? Maybe He changed His mode of work. (laughs) Maybe Shabbat doesn't mean to do nothing. Maybe Shabbat means to do a different kind of work, like... Enjoying what you work for. My father's always working, he says. And therefore what? I got to work. So when are you supposed to work? As long as the father's working. When does the father work? Always working. (laughs) You know, when Christians go on vacation, they forget about God. They go to Disney World to visit a rat. So, look, for six, week, I mean for six days, I don't want to hear no Bible scripture. I don't want to witness to nobody. I come to play with Mickey. That's how we think. But my father's what? Always working. He sent you to Disney World to bring somebody to Jesus. So, the man, the cash register at Disney World, is cashing up your, 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 your popcorn. And God says, tell him about it, him, my love. He said, now, don't let's talk about that right now. I'm on vacation. He said, my father's always working. I was in the airport, Cincinnati, waiting for a flight. Walked up to get a bottle of water. And the lady across the counter recognized me. She said, you're the man on TV. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, and she had three people who were serving before me and she served them. And uh, and she said, I'll get to you in a minute. And she served them first. And I said to myself, oh boy. So when I finished, when she finished serving them, she says, uh, what do you need? I said, I need some water. Is there anything else you need? She says, uh, I said, no. She says, can I buy you lunch? She, she ran in the store. I said, well, if that's the case. So I told her, she says, anything you want up there, you can get. So I ordered a sandwich and a, ju- a bottle of juice. And she gave me this free. And while she was serving me, she says, you know, you know I, I'm at the end of my says, you know, I, I, I'm at the point where I'm about to commit suicide. This woman working in the airport. Suicidal. She says, and I told God today when I woke up, I said, God, if you don't give me a word this morning, today, I'm going to kill myself tonight. Found out that she was on drugs, trying to kick heroin. She was very skinny. Eyes were falling in. I mean, the girl was in a, in a terrible state. And she says, I, I'm so sick and tired of taking drugs. She, she said, This is my 19th job. She said, I told God I got to meet someone. You got to bring me some word today. She said, When I saw you, and I'm thinking, I got to catch a flight. I ain't got no time. And I heard the words, My father is always working. And do you know, the strangest thing happened, the strangest thing happened. This is in airport. Thousands of people walking up and down. Do you know we stood there, I ministered to her, held her hands over the counter, prayed for her, took the lunch, gave her my card, and gave her scripting references. And all that time, no one came to the store. She said to me, she said, she said, did you notice no one came? I said, yeah. She said, but that's impossible. She said, you came to save my life. Tell your neighbor, God's always working. working. He's always working. My father's always working, Jesus said. And therefore, I must also work. But now watch his answers again with regards to the Son of Man. It says here, uh, <laughs> for this reason the Jews all the more tried to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own father, making himself what? He could be God. Now, wait a minute. Didn't God say he is your father? See, in the Hebrew, if someone is your father, it means that you came from the same source. It means you are the same stuff. The Jewish theology did not have a fatherhood image of God. They were afraid of God. God was a consuming fire, a terror to them. And here comes this man in the flesh calling God my source. In other words, I and my father are the same stuff. They said, you cannot be God. Well, when you call God your father, you're saying that you are a little God. So they couldn't handle that. They tried to kill him. Well, look at this verse. Verse 10. Sorry, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing of himself, but he can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Everybody say, I'm a son, so I can do what my father does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, yet to your amazement he will show him even greater things than these. Now watch this. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to who? The Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of who? 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 The Son of God. And those who hear will live. Now, the dead's is going to hear whose voice? Not the Son of Man, the Son of God. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of what? Son of who? Son of who? Don't read this quickly. Jesus changes on us. When they talk about his omnipotence the coming at the end of days with the trump of God to raise the dead he says when I show up that way I'm the son of God but he says to judge on earth to judge means to act righteously these healings these deliverances these miracles he says I do them because I have the authority as who the son of man He says, I am only able to do these things not because I am the Son of God. Because as the Son of God, listen carefully, I am illegal. They said, how can you heal the sick, raise the dead on the Sabbath? He says, I do these things because I am... A man because only man can function on earth legally everything Jesus did on earth he claimed it possible because he was the son of man so when you read the Bible you got to be careful every time he switches when he talks about the future he says the son of God When he talks about the present, he says, the Son of Man. Why? Because to be here, you need a body. Hmm. Now, what does that mean to you? That means Christ had no advantage over you. Some of us think that because he was God in the flesh, that he was better or more equipped than us. no, he had the same stuff you get. He had the Holy Spirit. He had a body that could get tired. He had to rest one day, drink water, he got thirsty. He was tempted to quit. Oh yes, he was. He wanted to find another way out of this thing. He went through the whole thing. Why? Because he was the Son of Man, and that he claims to be his source of authority. So you are authoritative on earth because you are a human son of man. Daniel said this in verse 14. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power over who? All peoples and nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now why is this important? Where did he go? Read that. It says, he came into the presence of who? The ancient of days. Now I want you to picture this. The Son of Man. Oh Lord. When is this written? Long before Jesus comes to earth. Daniel had what? A vision of the future. He saw God's kingdom being established by a person called the Son of Man. And Daniel saw the Son of Man coming into the presence Of the ancient of days. To get some stuff. What he comes to get. Authority. And the nature of God. Why? He's going to earth. To have dominion. Over the peoples. To bring back the authority of God. He has to go to God. To get what? The authority. How did God give him the authority? By making him the son of man. Is anybody with me at all? That's a powerful scripture. This is couple thousand years before Jesus came to earth. But Daniel saw him going to get a kingdom. And the kingdom is already in heaven. But to get it on earth, he has to go as the son of man. That's where he got his authority from. And then he came and gave it to who? Every language and every people. That is why the next verse is so important. Watch this statement by Daniel seven eighteen. It says... But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, and forever, and forever. Who's going to receive it? Not angels, the saints are going to receive what? The kingdom. Not heaven, the kingdom. The stuff he went in the presence of the Angel of days to get, he went to get it for the saints. The word saint, write the word saint down, please. The word saint has been really messed up lately. The word saint is not St. Teresa, St. Thomas More, and these dead people. Every book in the Bible that Paul wrote was addressed to the saints, and they were all alive. You know, so don't let any philosophy cause you to believe that saints are only dead people. Every believer is supposed to be a saint. The word saint is from the word sanctified. Sanctified. What is it sanctified? sanctified? Now write it down. The word sanctified simply means set apart for a specific use. Put it another way. Sanctified means to be isolated for a specific purpose. So a saint is not somebody with a long robe and some veil on or something, a saint is anybody who was being set apart for a specific use. You can sanctify a cup. You can sanctify a table. You can set it apart for a specific use. Now uh, some of you got your wedding china and they are sanctified. What does that mean? Matter of fact, you don't even use them at all. They're set apart for guests. So they're sanctified, see? Well, that's what the word saint means. It means set apart. Now, every single person in this building who has received Christ into their lives, the Bible calls you church. Church is from the word ecclesia. Ecclesia means set apart. Called out and set apart. So every believer is sanctified. So you are a saint. And they are the ones he gave what to? They received the kingdom. You were born again, not to go to heaven, you were born again to receive a kingdom. What is kingdom? Dominion, authority, power, I mean rulership. You were created to be in charge of this situation. This week, praise God. When you wake up tomorrow morning, Monday, to go to work, don't go to work trying to scrape your way through life, barely making it by God's grace. Maybe it happened true this week and maybe I'll just make it by Friday, maybe hanging on for Jesus. That ain't no kingdom mentality. Kingdom mentality is bring on the problems. Bring on the trouble. Why? Me and King Jesus be ready for this thing. Why? I'm built to run this situation. Sanctify. He sent us to receive the kingdom of God. You know, this is, a, this is an incredible mentality change. Because if we believe that we... That's why most Christians are so frustratingly depressing. Being around them. Oh, Lord, help me. I mean, you see you see these saints? I ain't talking to you. I'm talking to the one next to you. These people (laughs) always complaining. I mean, one little water bill. Lord, I know how I got paid. I mean, what kind of king are you? Imagine if a king complaining about bills. Mentality. You know, all kings go to war. You all know that. Read history, man. They go to war. And when they go to war, they go to war to win. And they fight to the death. That's what kingship is all about. It's about protecting authority and taking territory. There's always an enemy somewhere around in your life. You've got to take authority and get your territory back. It's a fight. You don't roll over and say, oh Lord, take care of that. mm you gotta get this thing uh, out yourself. The Bible says the kingdom of God is what taken by the violent. You gotta be violent to get this thing that's yours. Whatever is yours, you gotta fight for. Say it with me. Whatever is mine, I gotta fight for. Say it again. Whatever is mine, I gotta. Stop asking people to do things for you, man. Kings take authority and they take territory. Daniel says he gave it to the saints. Next verse. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be handed over to what? The saints. Now, I want you to underline a statement here in that verse in your Bible. It says, both the sovereignty, the power and the greatness of the kingdom under heaven. Where is it? We want to go to heaven. He said, this kingdom I'm talking about ain't in heaven. It is under heaven. What I'm trying to do, really, before you die, is to get you out of heaven. If I can just accomplish that much, if I can just get you out of heaven, so you can start realizing, you know something, the planet is mine. God gives it to me as a steward. And then decide, from this day forward, I'm going to start taking back every piece of land my foot possesses. I'm going to bring it under the influence of the kingdom of God. Think that way. That's what he says. He will give you the kingdom under heaven. And it will be handed over to who? The saints. A whole new verse. But here he is giving you the same instructions. And he will give it to the people of who? The Most High. We keep wanting heaven. He says, it's not about heaven. It's about the kingdom. We want to go somewhere. He said, no. The stuff I got for you coming to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you authority kingdom. So my thought patterns are very different than I used to have when I was a religious person. When I was religious, all I wanted to do is make it into heaven. Now I was a saint. Hallelujah. As a citizen, glory to God, all I want to do is to stay on earth. I want to make earth exactly what he said when you pray. He said, pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done not in heaven when we leave here people should know that there is a kingdom in Acts chapter 8 verse 12 and 13 very powerful verse Philip preached the kingdom of God and I thought it was interesting that the Holy Spirit made sure these details were in this verse you all remember when the black guy came from Africa Ethiopia in the book of Acts it was an African guy very wealthy guy Uh, He was a a eunuch, and he went up to Jerusalem to worship. Now remember that Solomon uh, had sex with the queen of Ethiopia, and she had a baby, remember? She got pregnant, went back home and got pregnant, and the message got back that Solomon got this child in Africa, but it's black woman. It's true history. And so Actually, one of her sons was the son of Solomon. Who's Solomon? King. Who is she? She's a queen. So who this baby is? baby is a prince. So that in Africa, we have now an official, original child that belongs to Solomon and a queen. So now, therefore, the Hebrew people have African roots. This family in Ethiopia becomes the royal family connected to Solomon. That's why the Rastas got their ideas from. Now the Rastas trying to make this boy Messiah. That's what they're trying to do. Now ain't no record in scripture about this boy being no Messiah. Matter of fact, we ain't hear much with the boy after that. Keep the TV on. So you can't invent a messiah for black people. But you see, when you were in slavery, oppressed, and you a disadvantaged, a guy find food to eat, and then the European preacher white Jesus that was oppressing you, then I can understand your mental problems. I can understand why you say, "Well, I can't be the white Jesus for me, because the white Jesus sent the white man from Europe to oppress me and make me slave. So it gotta be a black Messiah somewhere. And so you go looking for him and you find him in Ethiopia. And you try to connect him to the Lion of Judah. There ain't no Lion of Judah connected to this boy. This is an illegitimate son that Solomon lay with this woman. I'm trying to show you where the the, the unit comes from. This African man from Ethiopia is from that tribe, from that family, because they began to worship the God of Solomon. Remember, the Queen of Sheba was impressed by Solomon. And Solomon says, All I have is because of our God, Jehovah, Yahweh. And she says, I believe in your God. So she became convinced. And instead of worshiping those idols back home, she took God back home with her and told her family, with the baby. And that must have been a sight. Eh? She got back home pregnant. Now keep in mind, by the time she got home, she's showing because it took months to get home in them days. So she got home pregnant. Now, she couldn't even hide it. She got home big. And she was impressed with the God of Solomon. And that's why today, the first evangelistic outreach of the church took place in this chapter. This was the first international outreach by the church. It's this black man, where was he going? He was going back home to Africa. Where he been? The Bible says he went up to worship. Where? Because every Jew once a year had to go to Jerusalem to the temple to take a sacrifice and to worship Yahweh. That was the tradition. So the Africans from Ethiopia who were Solomon's descendants also did the tradition. They came up and they worshiped and went back home. This man is on his way back home while he was in Jerusalem. Praise God. Somebody told him that a few weeks ago a man was preaching. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the leper, and this man died on the cross, and this man changed the whole place, and the Ethiopian trying to figure out who is this man. Now, where's the Ethiopian? He's in the temple. He's worshipping Yahweh, and he had the rumors about this man. He is reading, what is he reading? He is reading the book of Isaiah. Where did he get that from? He got it from his mama. Or from the queen. The queen brought the scrolls back home from Solomon. And so now she she has the scriptures back in Africa. By the way, that means the roots of African convictions in God go way back beyond slavery. They got the word before the Europeans. So here comes this guy. He's reading. And by the way, black people couldn't read. Anyhow. So He's reading. And the Bible says, and guess what? Black people was rich. He was riding in a chariot, reading, which means that he wasn't driving. Come on, man, clap. That's a good place to clap. The Bible says he was reading in his chariot on his way back to Ethiopia. And while he's reading, he got to a place in Isaiah where it says he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastity. Title of his peace was upon him. And with his stripes we were healed. And he's reading this point, And he got confused and couldn't figure out who was this talking about. And the Bible says while he was pondering this in his mind. Philip was in a revival. In a small town. And while in a middle of the revival people getting healed and saved. The Holy Ghost came. And this is where a miracle starts. It says it translated Philip. Took him out of the revival. I know how that happened. He just vanished. Where's the preacher? The preacher was here just now. The Bible said, Philip was taken up by the Holy Ghost and translated, transported, and he came alongside the chariot. Could you imagine you reading this guy a pair just jogging behind? <laughs> Hi, what you reading? I <laughs> said, so the Bible said that chapter's chapter a good chapter to read, an interesting chapter. Got to make a movie of that one day. And he asked the guy, he just asked the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian said to him, Who are you? He says, I'm Philip. And he says, What are you reading? He, and the Ethiopian he says, I'm reading this Isaiah, but I don't understand it. And the Bible says, Philip said unto him, Would you like to understand? Understand this thou without readers? And he says, No, I don't understand. I read it, but I don't understand. it. It's not like a lot of us reading it, but don't understand it. And here's what Philip says. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the good news, the kingdom of God, that's the Ethiopian and his, and his colleagues there who were with him, It says, in the name of Jesus they were to be baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now, he preached the good news of what? That's what I want you to watch. What did he preach? He preached the kingdom. What have we been preaching? We've been preaching salvation, healing, prosperity, Solomon, Solomon, heritage, God the message of the kingdom. What do we got? Philip knew the gospel. The gospel was the gospel of the kingdom and that's what he preached. He didn't preach born again. He preached the kingdom to these people. That's why I wanted to just stress some points here. The purpose of Jesus is the same. What was his original purpose? His intent was to reinstate the kingdom of heaven on earth. Something interesting I want to wrap up this session on, because next week we're going to go a little heavy into this. But the timing of his coming was related to the kingdom. Not only did he preach the kingdom... But even the timing of his coming to earth was controlled by the kingdom message. His ministry's message was related to the kingdom. That's all he preached. The kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And then the promise of his ministry was related to the kingdom. He said that when I come, the kingdom shall be established in its fullness. Very interesting. Very interesting. And that his future expectation was not heaven, but he expected the kingdom to be established. All right. As you write those notes down, let me just wrap this up on this unique and very important point of timing. Timing. Help me, Lord. Okay. Listen carefully. How many of you have studied communication in school? Can I see a hand? In college? Communication? Okay, some of you Okay. What's the first thing they teach you about communication in school in your communications class? What they, what they teach you? What is it? Effective communication needs what? You got the sender and the receiver. True? Okay. And then you, what you got in the middle? What they call noise. The... I gotta give you... A message listen carefully now in communication they say I am the sender I got the message you are the receiver I got to get it to you now between me and you is a whole lot of thing they call noise attracting you you know something bites you on your foot a mosquito something you know maybe somebody make a loud sound or whatever uh, a baby cries. I mean, there's a lot of noise that can interrupt my message. So you miss it. Secondly, they say that for communication to be su- to be successful, you need what they call, ready for this? You need to have what they call understanding or definition of terms. Follow me carefully. Are you with me? Otherwise, we can't communicate. For example, if I said... Give me some bread. Now, in 1960s, I'd give you money. See the problem? So if I says, give me some bread, so I'd give you some money. Because in the 60s, that's what money was. Money was bread, right? Remember that? Bread. Okay? If I say, hey, man, that's cool. Now, it doesn't mean it's cold. Now, in the 1950s, that means you're shivering. But in the 1970s, it means that you're okay. See? To the... Meaning, same word. Okay? How about this one? Chill. Now, in the 1980s, chill meant what? Be cool. In the 1950s, it means what? Freezing. Same word. In other words, communication is only successful if the words we are using mean the same thing. Follow this now. Very important here. So here is God with a whole planet of people. He's in heaven. He's got this message that's important to them about who they are as a kingdom. He sends himself in a body. Now, chronologically speaking, in this Bible, how long ago did Adam sin? Chronologically, 6,000 years ago. Okay? Not the evolutionist dates. We're talking about the Bible. 6,000 years ago, Adam sinned, according to this book. When Adam sinned, the same chapter, God promised to send the seed. In the same chapter. So, when Adam sinned, in verse 4. In verse 15, God says, got it covered, no problem. Seeds coming, take your business. So God sends the solution in the same chapter. But, how long did God take before he showed up? So now you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalms of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Then there's Micah, Nahum, and Habakkuk. Then there's Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Then it's a blank page. Now, all of those books, all of that history,
1: thousands of years,
0: God still ain't sent the Son. What's God waiting for? Well, you study the whole book, you can see why God didn't send him. Right after Adam sinned, you got Noah. You know what Noah did? Noah got drunk. Alcoholic fella, right? God said, no kind can I use that time. Then his sons, they went off into all kind of weird stuff. Right? And they went to all kind of demon worship. I mean Noah's sons went into all kind of mess. And out of that comes this guy God found called Abraham. Abraham is Noah's great, great, great grandson. So God comes to this little village where they worship the moon. That's how bad when all sons came out. They were worshipping the moon. The land of Ur is where Abraham lived. And his fathers worshipped the moon. And he went in there and he says, come here. And he called Abraham out. Abraham comes out. He says, now Abraham, I don't have no,
1: <laughs>
0: there's no model on earth for my message. So I want you to start something for me. Through you, I'm going to create a nation. Abraham says, "Fine, but I ain't got no children." Doesn't no problem. We work on that. Abraham said, "But I'm 75." God said, "We work on that too." We uh, got
1: <laughs> I just thought I'd throw
0: it in for you guys who need help. <laughs> so, God works a miracle, and age 100, Sarah has a baby. His Name is Isaac. God still ain't got a model for the kingdom. Isaac has two sons. Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. He says, Jacob, I'm going to change your name to Israel. So through Israel, has 12 sons. These are coming 12 tribes of Israel. God says, fine. He's gonna tell you what I want to do. Watch God now. God says, I'm going to try to set this model up. Listen carefully. He says, look, you will be my people, and I'll be your God. Got it? Good. So tell you what. There'll be no one between us. It'll be the people and God. God never wanted a king. He Why? He says, I will be your king. You will be my kingdom. That's all God wants. He says, now I tell you what. I'm going to organize a situation where you guys will have communion with me through this worship thing. I'll come to you. I'll talk to you. You'll do what I say. Bring the nations back to me. Got it? Good. So the people says, fine. They got out there. And they began to realize we can't see God. And then these other nations got kings they could see. So when they met the other nations, the nation would say, Are you a nation? They said, well, Yes, we are the tribes of Israel. But who is your king? God, where is he? Somewhere around here. I mean, how do you tell folks that your government is somewhere around here? That became tough for them. So they began to ask God, Give us a king that we could see. God says, You don't want a king. That ain't the model. They said, Give us a king. He says, Look. The mortal, we working on the mortal now. I am the king. You are the king. This is the kingdom. Get it? You don't want a king. They said, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. So they got real upset at God. And the Bible says, God says, okay, if you want a king, choose from among yourselves one, and I will bless him. So they chose Saul to be their king. So now God has the king in the middle of the king, representing the kings to the king. The model still ain't right. So God says, Okay, tell you what, this king gonna give you taxes. God's trying to set it up now. He can take taxes from you, that's your tithes. He can put your kids in, in war and armies. Okay, that's the angels. And he's gonna levy you for your land. He's gonna take property taxes. I mean, God lists all these things And these people. He said, Look, you get a ruler, he gonna he gonna wipe you out. They said, We still want a king, so they got Saul. You we know the story of Saul? Saul obeyed God until one day he decided he liked mutton too much. Remember that guy? He saw them sheep. He said, ooh, can't kill them. So he kept these sheep, these sheep, and he took them back home. And when, when God said, I told you to kill the sheep, he said, I killed them. He said, But I heard the sheep bleating. He said, That's right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I don't know. Interesting story about Saul. So the, so the prophet comes. Samuel said, Saul, why don't you disobey God? It's more important to. Obey God under worship. Saul says, oh boy, ask God to forgive me. He God can't forgive you anymore because you break the law. And then God chose another one named David to take his place. David becomes king. Now David is a good fellow. David is now raised by God to try to get the model. What's God looking for? A model to create a kingdom so he could preach a message to the nations. David says, the Lord is my God and my people shall be his people and he shall be my God. God said, we're getting close. And then David became a mystery. God says, David, I want you to be a king and a priest. So David wrote worship songs, but he also was an administrator. He wrote the largest book in the Bible, the book of Psalms. He was a king, but yet he was a worshiper. God says, this is good. It's close. Wonderful. But still ain't got it, because now David committed adultery. Messed things up. What happened? The kingdom is split in half after David is is killed. The people divide. God says, oh, the model is gone. Now the people are scattered into Babylon. They're all messed up. Then Daniel starts getting information. Daniel says, look, the kingdom is still around. God has a kingdom idea. He's going to bring this kingdom, give it to the saints. We get the story. Jesus still ain't come. He goes into Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. The people are there now under burdens. So they went to Pharaoh. They went to the Babylonians. They were under the Assyrians. They were under the Chaldeans. They were under oppression. I mean, every single generation had no oppression. God said, I got a problem here. And guess what? When the Babylonians finished, then the Assyrians took them, made them slaves. Then they went into the Amorites, and the Hittites, and and the Moabites, and all the other ites, and the Canaanites. And they became slaves to everybody. Then the Greeks came. And the Greeks began with philosophy. These are thinkers. And they used their philosophy to win the whole world, man. The Greeks could talk you out of everything. That was their gift. They were philosophers. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. I mean, that's where they came from. The line of Greeks. The Greeks were thinkers. And they ran the whole of Europe because of their philosophy. Keep following me quickly. The the Greeks ruled for many, many years. And then there came another empire known as the Roman Empire. Now God's getting excited. Because now this is the first empire in history who takes a model and sets it up. And the model is exactly like the kingdom of God. The Romans are the only empire that sets up an administration that resembles the kingdom of God. How did they do it? Listen carefully, quickly. The Romans were the only ones who would invade a country, but they wouldn't remove the people. They would take over a country... They would leave the people in the land. Now every other empire before that did the opposite. The Babylonians, the Syrians, all those nations that came in, they would take the land and the people. Take the people out of the land, take them back as spoil, and put them in their land and make them slaves to them. Every empire did that. That's why the The Jews were in Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. He took them out of Palestine, brought them into Babylon and made them slaves. But the Romans were the first ones who did the opposite. They would come into a nation, take the nation, take control, but they wouldn't take the people out. They would leave the people in the land, but they did something strange. They would then go back to Rome. They would choose a governor sent him to that place that they took over. And that governor came from Rome. He was a Roman. And he came to that area, and his job was to govern that area and turn that area into Rome. Am I clear? That's the difference between the Romans and every other empire. That's why the Romans took over the largest piece of property of earth. They became the greatest empire in history. Why? They had a system that worked. The system was, you take over, and you send someone to run it. And leave the people there, and turn the people into Romans. That's why we get the statement, when in Rome... Okay, and what that means is, look, any time you go into a Roman territory, you got to act like who? A Roman. Otherwise, they will kill you. So, when a Roman took over territory, the territory became Rome. Guess what? The Bible says in Galatians 3, In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Fullness of time doesn't mean time on the clock. It means timing of situation. Why did God wait till the Romans were in power before He sent Jesus? Because the model for the kingdom was perfect, and therefore the definitions of words were right. Am I making sense? This is good stuff, man. You guys got to get this. So, when you study the Roman Empire, you really study in the kingdom of God. For example, Caesar is not a name. Caesar is a title. And it means Lord. The Romans established a word called Ecclesia. That's a Roman word. And it means church. Caesar had a church. What is church? That's the Senate. That's the group that ran the empire. They were called Ecclesia Church. Y'all talk to me. I can finish right now. We got to get this. The next one. The governor, for example, Pilate was a governor. The governor never spoke for himself. He only spoke when Caesar told him to speak. Next. The governor had the same power of Caesar. He can let you live or let you die. So, we find this problem. We got a kingdom just like it. Now, every citizen in this empire are called subjects of Rome. Or they are called property of Rome. Are you with me? There was no other lord in the Roman Empire. When Romans took over, there were lords all over the place. They were little lords, little lords. But when Romans took over of territory, they canceled all lords. And there's only one lord. Who's that lord? Caesar. And so therefore, when they start to talk about Jesus Christ coming to the town, remember what he said? He says, I am lord. And they said, we have no lord but Caesar. In other words, you are causing insurrection. You are now challenging the empire of Caesar, you are now committing what? Treason against the state. And that's why Christ was tried. Pilate says, look, come before me. And What was the trial? Pilate's trial had nothing to do with religion. So don't blame Pilate. Pilate's trial was what? You say you was a king. We got a problem here. If you was a king, you putting me in trouble because you see, Caesar can ask me what's going on in my territory. They got another king down there and I can kill you if you say you was king so you putting my job in trouble you understand Pilate's problem? So Pilate says, are you king? Christ says, you say so. Otherwise, Christ is trying to save his head and his job. What was the complaint? They said, there's a man in the street, Pilate, and they are calling him Lord. Pilate says, Lord? Oh dear. Tell him come. And he says, are you Lord? Do you own people? Only Caesar owns people. When they said, pay taxes, Christ says, oh, taxes, no problem. Uh, Give me a coin. They gave him a coin. He says, whose head is on that? They said, the Lord. He says, good. Then give to that Lord what is his. See, it was a kingdom argument. So God sent Jesus at the right time when every word that he speaks could be understood. Clap your hands. we pick up here next week. Oh, come on, y'all. Clap. You understood that word this morning? I know I ain't got to it yet, but boy, I tell you, that's what this is all about. Next week, we are going to deal with what the kingdom looks like and why God used the Roman Empire. Amen? Let's stand together. Well, we're going to learn this Bible, I'm telling you. You're going to read this Bible. In the next couple of months, it's going to be a different book for you. Hallelujah. Hold your neighbor down and tell your neighbor, I am a son.
1: This tape is a product of the Resource Production Department of Bahamas Faith Ministries International, a multifaceted ministry touching the four corners of the globe. If you would like more information about the ministry, products, conference schedules, brochures, catalogues, or ministry travel information, please write to Bahamas Faith Ministries International, the Diplomat Center, P.O. Box N9583, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, destiny is your choice. What you do not know could and is destroying the potential of your life. It's your choice. It's your destiny. role, welcoming
0: you to the opportunity to transform your life. Did you know that you possess the power and the responsibility to determine your future and destiny? Did you know that you are the sum total of the choices and decisions you make every day? However, the ability to make the right decisions for a life that leads to your God-given destiny depends on your quality of knowledge. Self-development demands self-discipline. It is our desire to see your life transform through the message on this tape. Prepare to receive as we join this opportunity to grow and expand, as we inspire you and motivate you to achieve your greatest in God's purpose for your life. Sit back now and listen to a message that is designed to destroy ignorance and empower you to become an effective human on this planet as you inspire others to reach their highest potential. Let us join the seminar in progress. Concepts and the characteristics of the kingdom Sit up with me The concepts and the characteristics of the kingdom That's what we're going to talk about We're going through a whole series of the kingdom of God, which is the only subject that really we should be talking about in the church worldwide. Today we celebrate around the world with millions of believers the period of time that we remember the last week in the life of Jesus on earth. Today was the day that Jesus decided to go to Jerusalem to die. It was today, 2,000 years ago. This very day, right now. We know it's the exact date because it was the day, the first day of the week that he set out to go toward Jerusalem. This was the day that he said, I set my face like flint toward Jerusalem. You know, flint is a very hard rock. You can't break it. In other words, he was fixed. I am going to die. So the statement meant that Jesus was saying, whatever happens, there's one thing I will do. And that is, I'm going to die for them, and nothing's going to stop me. That decision was made on this day. This was the day, then, that he sent them to go and find him, the donkey... So we could ride in on the donkey. Down the hill of the olive. uh, Mount of Olives. And up the Kidron Valley. And up to the Temple Mount. And into the city gate. And into the city of Jerusalem. It was this day. This was the day. That they cut down branches. And they began to sing. Hosanna. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And they called him. He's the king. Here comes the king. Now, in Matthew 21, we find in verse 5, it says, the prophecy about this day, which comes from, of course, the book of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9 is where you find the history of this. You don't need to read that. But in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you find these words prophesying about the coming Messiah. It says that he will come riding on a donkey, say to the daughters of Zion, See, your king, everybody say king, comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now that prophecy was written way back a few thousand years before Jesus came to earth. A couple of thousand years. This is amazing to me how details are kept by God. And Zechariah the prophet said that when the Messiah come, one of the signs... Would be that he would come riding into the city as a king, but on a donkey. And then Zechariah defines or describes the kind of donkey. He says he will come on a fowl or a colt, a young unused donkey. But notice he says he'll be riding to who? To you. And he's a king. Okay, I want you to write the word king down for a minute. The Bible is not a book about a democracy. The Bible is not a book about the republic. It is not a republic. The Bible is not about a parliamentary democracy. The Bible is not about... A system of government as we know it. We live in the Western world in a form of government that is called a democratic form. Democracy, parliamentary democracy or republics are built on the philosophy of government where the people choose their leader. We vote for our king, for our leader so to speak. Not king but leader. The Bible is not about that. The message of the Bible is not a democratic message. It's very important to remember this. Jesus is not called a president. A president presides over a nation at the behest and the permission of the people. They vote for him. The prime minister is not what Jesus Christ is called. He's not a prime minister. Prime ministers are selected by a party who have been voted in by the people. So the power in a democracy resides in the people. Whether it's a republic or a parliamentary democracy in a, uh, we call it a commonwealth of nations. The power resides in the people. If you don't like who you get in power, then the next election you take them out. So the power is really in the hands of the people. The Bible is opposite to that. The Bible is not a democracy. It's not a republic. And I keep repeating this, but I want you to get it because you see, we have been brought up, cultured in, conditioned to think in terms of a democracy and a republic. We think that way. So when you read the Bible, you must understand that the Bible is not talking about a governing power on a structure that resembles what you know. This is why in our last week's session, were you all aware of what we talked about last week? I talked about the fact that God waited until the Roman Empire was in power. Remember that? Before he sent Jesus. Why? remember why because he needed a model right so Christ didn't come to earth until God had a model in place that could define the message of his kingdom the roman empire was the perfect model first because it was structured on dominion the romans dominated the entire world at that time the known world Of civilization they dominated the world secondly they dominated the world but they kept the citizens that they took over in the land thirdly there was only one ruler in the Roman Empire only one and he was not voted in Hmm. he was an emperor an emperor is one who has an empire. Fourthly, the emperor had a title, very important title. His title was Caesar. Caesar is another word for Lord. Everybody say Lord. Now, Caesar was the only one with the title there were no other Caesars and that word means Lord in other words the Roman Empire only had one Lord everybody say Lord again say it again the word Lord write it down it means owner owner proprietor so the word Lord is referring to the person who owns the property when you rent from somebody as I always say You have to call them the land what? They're the land what? See, they are lords in the Bahamas. All over the Bahamas. Some of you are lords. If you own a property and you lease it to someone else, you are a lord. Lord simply means owner. When you read the Bible, you will find the word Lord written all through the Bible. Sometimes it's a capital L. Sometimes it's a small l. The small L is referring to those who own property. But the big L is referring to the one who owns those who owns the property. (laughs) So whenever the word Lord is used for God, it is always a capital L. Why? He is the owner of the whole earth. And everything in it. The Bible says the earth is who? The Lord's and the Fullness that's in the earth belongs to who? The earth is who? The? the earth is who? The lords. Take the word or put the meaning in. The earth is the owners. There you go. It's a different picture altogether. The earth belongs to the owner, and all the fullness or that which fills it is also the owners. It's going to make sense in a minute. Now, Caesar calls himself Lord. Lord. What does Lord means? Owner. So the Roman Empire was built on the philosophy that everything is owned by Caesar. God says, send Jesus now. <laughs> because the message he's going to preach is the exact message they're living. He's coming to establish An empire. A kingdom. And he will be the. Lord. Of all. See you can have many lords. Oh dear. But small l. Should be translated. Caretaker. Write it down. Small l means, yeah, you own it. Let me give you an example. In the Bahamas, right? In the Bahamas and also in America, I guess in Canada too and other places. But in the Bahamas, when you buy a piece of property, guess what? They give you the conveyance papers, don't they? And you own the property, you see your name on it, they stamp it, you own the property. But yet the government tells you, you don't own this property. How do you know? They charge you for the rest of your life. For something you own. I got a problem with that. Big problem. Keep your TV on. Big you work all your life to pay for this piece of property. Pay for this house. You work hard. And then they, they let you rent what you own. And they call it real estate tax. Okay. That's not a bad model. me explain the model. What they're saying is you own it but you don't own it. We are giving you permission to own it. And the permission you got to pay for the rest of your life. You are a caretaker. Now, isn't it amazing that those who keep the property the best pay the most? (laughs) Interesting. This is important. What happens if you don't pay your property tax? I want you to think about this. You own this property. You own this property. You paid for it. But what happens if you refuse to pay your property tax? What happens? Come on lawyers, talk to me. Huh? They what? Can't hear you. They, They will repossess. This is crazy. What you own. What they're saying is, you never own this. I know. Okay, why is this important to learn? Because it's the way kingdoms think. The earth is always the Lord's. So anybody who claim to own anything in it or any part of it, they don't own it. They are caretakers. Let me tell you how happy I am about that. I found out that a king owns everything in a kingdom. In a kingdom, the king personally owns the whole kingdom. Write this down. The king owns the kingdom. That's the different concept. You've got to learn that concept. So in a kingdom, a king will allot property to people. Um, how many of you remember in the Bahamas, there was such a term, as there still is actually a term called crown land. Now why do they call it crown land? Because that's the land that is owned by Queen Elizabeth in the Bahamas. Because kings... Own their territory. They could give it to who they want. That's why there are parts of the Bahamas named after people. Whole islands, whole sections named after people. The Collins family. And those things were given out by the king. Of England. So You could have this island, you could have that part of it, you could have that half. I mean, they just, the king just cuts it up. Gives it away. This is so good. Because in a kingdom, the king can move his property around to whosoever he wills. And guess what? You never own it. So, Jesus is a king. Riding in on a donkey, not a president. The president of the United States does not, does not own America. He's not a prime minister. Our prime minister does not own the Bahamas. Sometimes they think they do, but they don't. But a king is a different story. My wife and I went to a kingdom couple years ago, we went to a kingdom called Swaziland. It's one of the last places in the world where there is an actual king that rules the country. It's a monarchy. Hallelujah. That whole country belongs to him. It's amazing. The man got how many wives, baby? How many wives is he? Eight. Huh? He's on the tenth one. My God. Now, I'm not talking about one at a time, you know. So you all understand. I talk about ten all at once. And the thing it is now, my wife, you know, we are guests of the king. And he is the power of the country. And of course, you know, when we arrived there, they had a whole parade for us. And it was amazing. And we were the guests of the king. And when we arrived to the place where they were, had everyone gathered to meet us. And all the leaders and all the chiefs and... Then my wife had to be separated from me. Because she had to go sit with the wives. And I look at the king. Make sure you don't fool. This ain't number 11 brother. You will hear of a man who killed a king. <laughs> you know what I mean? I say, hey. And she had to sit with all these, these queens. I guess they're all queens. I don't know. I counted eight. Eight. Tell me why a king can have eight wives. He owns the subjects. They said that when that king wants a wife, if, he, if he's sitting down and he goes to a meeting he's, you know, and he sees a woman that he wants, he just tells the parents, Deliver her. And This is real. Deliver your daughter at 9 o'clock in the morning. Prepare her. For the court to be trained. I wanted to be my wife. Why? The concept is, he owns the people. Are you getting it? Jesus is a king. He can walk into a place and see you. It's Jesus now. And he see you in sin. Under the garbage heap of all kinds of muck. And he decides, you're my wife. It can get it after you're gone. you understand it. That's exactly what he did to some of you. If people know your path, and yet he walked into your life, and he's king, see? He is what? Lord. He says, I don't care what she been drinking, what he been sniffing. He is mine.
1: It's king.
0: The king can do that. Now, the king comes in because he owns his kingdom. He's Lord. Now, I want to say a couple of things here before we wrap this up. I want you to remember this. When a king has children, those children are called what? Prince? and princesses. Now in every kingdom you got one king. You count two kings and I'm talking about the kingdom of the, the model of the world now. Then all the people in the kingdom are called what? Sub, that means below Jacks. Are you a jack? You got Rejects? <laughs> in every kingdom in the world you've got Subjects. You are below Jets. What a horrible term. But every kingdom has it. But the kingdom of God is a problem because it's the it's the complete opposite. In the kingdom of God, the people that are in the kingdom of God. Are not subjects, they are all kings. Problem here. So, when Jesus was talking about, ooh, 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 ooh. hallelujah, it's so sweet. When Jesus was talking about authority in the kingdom, leadership in the kingdom, he had a problem explaining it. He said, Look, he said, Now, you see. You disciples got the wrong training. You believe that in the kingdom, he who is greatest is the one who suppresses everybody else. You think that in, this, in the kingdom, in order to be big, you got to make everybody else small. You believe that to be somebody, you got to make sure everybody else are nobodies. What an attitude he says. He said, now, uh, that's the way it's done. And We can deal with this in a couple of weeks coming. That's the way it's done, he says, in the world, in the pagan world. They what? Lord it over their subjects. Hmm. statement it shall not be so among you complete rebuke to live in this kingdom he says change your philosophy of leadership authority you are not great because everyone else is small because in this kingdom there ain't no small (laughs) He said, in this kingdom, the great person is the one who serves everybody else. This is going to be a good series. You can understand this later. Their gift. I was teaching a seminar this week in a corporate company and I asked a question and then on Friday night, I mentioned it again during our session. What do you think of when you hear the word Michael Jordan? What do you think about it? Basketball. You don't think about people. What do you think about what he does? Is he a leader? Yes. Everybody wants him to be on their advertisement. He's a powerful leader. His name brings in millions. He has influence all over the world. I mean, Michael is an awesome leader. But when I call his name, you don't think about people. Because leadership has nothing to do with people. Michael Jackson. What do you think about? You don't think about people. But yet, he influences millions. He is now called, ready for this? The king of pot. He ain't got no subjects. But he's called what? King. He don't dominate people. He dominates a domain that is his I'll give you one more. Mother Teresa. What do you think about? What do you think about? Charity. What do you think about? Poor. Yes. Isn't that amazing? This woman is a world leader. She stood before the United Nations and addressed them. She was sought over the world by kings and queens who wanted to talk to her. Governments wanted her advice. She was four feet high and never changed her clothes. Same dress. All the time. But she ruled the world. Why? It wasn't people, We remember. It's a gift. Because your leadership is not in ruling people. He says, in this kingdom, the greatest among you is the one who found his gift and serves it to everybody else. I'm going to ask a question. I don't want an answer now. I want an answer from you, and I promise I'm going to ask you at this time. I want an answer from you in 15 years. Okay? I'm going to ask you the question now. I'm going to. A- I want an answer in 15 years. Here's the question. What will I think about when we call your name? In 15 years I'm going to ask for an answer. Because right now before we probably think about nothing. Are you known for anything yet? Is there something that you are so good at? That you dominate so well. That it's synonymous with your name. Or maybe your name is Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Who's Jack? What? Oh, you know Jack. I'm waiting to see if you know Jack. Who's Jack? What is Jack's last name? All trades. He masters what? You got to master something. There's a trophy in my office. It's about three feet high. I went to speak out in California. This conference out there at the Shrine Auditorium where they have all the Academy Awards. And I was a speaker that night and all the people in this place. And they presented me with a trophy. The trophy reads, Mr. Purpose. <laughs> Interesting. About eight years ago, maybe before longer than maybe ten years ago, I was chatting with Pastor Richard, and I think he might have forgotten this conversation. I hope not. I said, You know what to do? Say tell you what to do, I want to be successful in life. Find an area that you're good at and work it. I mean just read all the books on it, you know. Go to every seminar on it. I mean, if it's your passion, your love, just go for it. Don't be known for too many things. Be the king of something. Elvis Presley. Okay, what do you remember? <laughs> Rock Rose. He's the king of what? Rock and roll. Aretha Franklin. She's a queen. Where do these people get these names from? Ain't no queens in America. She's a queen of soul. And notice all the names are different. She's soul. Elvis is rock and roll. Michael Jackson is pop. Jordan is basketball. Tiger is see what is yours what are you serving the world Christ says the greatest among you will become the one who is serving the best do you know why most Bahamian restaurants don't make it they sell everything I'm giving you all good advice now. I ain't paying y'all for this. Y'all ain't paying me for this See, this free. Stop selling everything. Kentucky Fried Chicken is known for what? Chicken, man. They may throw sure and let boy get there, but that ain't their things. Chicken. What are you known for? Find something that is you. Serve it to the world. You know, it's tough to find good secretaries because they keep changing their position, their jobs. They keep changing stuff. It's good to be good at something because you become sought after. A good mechanic, Lance, we, we don't need a guy who could fix everything. You know, when I want my car fixed, I don't take it to a plumber. I don't want no pipes in my car. I need somebody who's good at that one thing. Just cars. Are you with me? They are what? The authority in the area? Am I talking to anybody here this morning? Why am I stuck on this? I got all kinds of things to talk about. But you see, somebody here must be trying to be everything. And God is saying, hey, settle down on one thing and get good at it, man. Find your gift and serve the thing to the world. And you'll become what? Great. Muhammad Ali. He ain't claimed to be no mayor. He got more influence than the mayor. <laughs> if Muhammad Ali walks into a town, the people don't go see the mayor. Don't have a meeting while he's there. Why? Because he has sharpened his skill in his area so well. He served it to the whole world. I mean, he went to the thrill in Manila and served the world some gloves. Stop the world for two hours. What can you do to stop the world? There's something in you. And that's your leadership. Eh? Let me give you one last name. Tell me what you think about it. Jesus! Huh? One word, Savior, salvation. Why? That's the word, that's what it means. God named him what he was. His name shall be called Yeshua. The word means what? Savior, for he shall save the people from their sins. He named him what he was. If you want to get saved, you go to Christ. He'll dominate your sins and turn them into a miracle. Amen? He'll save you. Now, the king came right in. Synonymous with a dominion. Our kingdom is a problem because our kingdom doesn't have any subjects. So Jesus said, to explain my kingdom to you all, there needs to be a paradigm shift. Uh, Watch this. All the citizens in the kingdom are sons of the king. Problem. Problem. That means every citizen is a prince or princess. So what do you do now? Well, what is a prince or a princess? Write down definition. A prince or a princess is a king in waiting. They are kings and they are queens, but they are in waiting. A prince is a king. So why is he called a prince? A princess is a queen. Why is she called a queen? That is simple. Because you cannot be a king or a queen if you are a prince and a princess until two things happen. One, the king dies or two, you are removed out of the territory. Two kings cannot rule the same territory. Ah, yeah, yeah. Prince Charles of England. You all know the guy? Prince Charles's problem is his mother wouldn't die. All respect, please, Your Majesty. Prince Charles is an old man now. God bless you, sir. It's the truth, you know. He's an old man. He's he's older than most of us. But he's still a prince. As old as he is, he's still a prince. And the possibility still is there that he might die a prince. Why? Because the queen is still alive. And as long as she is in England and she's still alive, he is forever stuck. With being prince, that means he will never rule, dominate England. Are you listening to me? Listen carefully. I'm talking about you. I was saying something that sounded very comical this morning, but it was to make a point. And that is, Prince Charles has a problem. You see, he ain't sure how to pray. He don't show either he, he prayed for his mother to stay alive. That's one prayer. Give a long life, O oh Lord. Now, <laughs> you know, uh, one of the famous statements in the Bible, and also in Great Britain's monarchy, is this statement Long live the king. Now, the reason why they say you must say that all the time, because you don't want them to die. But I'm not sure everybody praying that with you. What do you think? I mean, after a while, you know, you prince and you're 60 years old and you're prince. You still walk around as prince. I mean, you ain't, I mean, you see the throne every day. You're just walking around. Prince all life. Every day, all your life, they call you prince, Charles, Prince, prince. I mean, you get tired of prince. But this woman wouldn't die. So, Prince Charles, listen to me, never had a kingdom. Thank you, she got it. Prince Charles, even though he's an old man so far, he never ruled, never had a king. What a sad thing. All his life, he is known as the sidekick. Some of you laugh at Prince Charles. His life is not easy. All your life, you're in the shadow. All your life, you carry out diplomatic errands. You never speak as the authority. All your life. Everybody questions you when you speak. That's said, that's tough, man. So, you wonder why people have difficulty living. You don't, you don't live in their shoe. Oh, All this life. Never had a kingdom. Never ruled, and yet he has royal blood. Now, watch what the, the, the monarchy is doing. Everybody's a kingdom. Everybody's a king. Write the word king down again. Put next to it, monarchy. The Bible is about a monarchy. Kingdoms are about monarchies. What's a monarchy? A monarchy is a family that owns and rules the whole territory. The family owns the place. My God. That's why the land in the Bahamas is called crown land. Why? The king, the queen actually owns land. Land she never saw. Anybody following this? Now watch this. A monarchy is a family. This is good news for you to understand the Bible. The Bible is about a family. This is a family book. You all got to get me for a go. This is about a family. This ain't about... Lord have mercy. That's my wife for all the notes in the world. You see, this book is about a father with children and with an eldest son. (laughs) You getting it, Greg? This book is not about religion. It's not about traditions. It's not about, you know, all these calisthenics we call worship, and you know, the candles and the smoke and the chants and the songs and the hymns. This book is a family book. It's a family album. Can you change your thinking? And the family in this book is a monarchy. The father is called the king of the universe. Seen and unseen. The book actually calls him king of key." Now, the only way for Charles to become king by the way and Charles uh, your majesty Prince Charles you know this is true you're watching this program you can become king either by the death of your mom or or If they can move you out of England and put you in a foreign territory, then you can become a king. Two ways to become a king. You, as long as you are with your and your mother, you cannot be king. Write that down. As long as the prince and the princess is with the mother and the father, they cannot be king. They can only be prince and princess. So the way you become a king... Is the death of the parent. Or you are removed out of the same territory as your father. Let me tell you why this is tough teaching. Because this is the real truth. Hallelujah. Now. Do you know what plans they're making in England right now? They figure, Princess Margaret is so old, Elizabeth, is so old, but they figure she's still strong. So the possibility of her outliving her son is very high. You all follow this now? So what they've done, they figure, you know, if she was to pass away in the next 15 years from now, which is possible because her mother's still alive, That woman is an eternal (laughs) woman. She's a how old? hundred years old. Yeah. I mean, now you know, Lord have mercy. (laughs) That grandson got real problems. Okay. So, if Queen Elizabeth lives another fifteen, twenty years, how old do you think Charlie gonna be? Let me tell you something. Charlie gonna be walking around. Like Grammy walking down. So what they're doing now, they already started. They figure he ain't going to be no good to the throne when mama passed. So they're working on his son, William. And they're saying, look, we got to prepare this young fella to be king. So they already earmarked him to take over after Queen Elizabeth dies. Not Charles, He too old. They go in for the sun. I want you to follow this. That's why he's having etiquette training. Diplomatic training. International training. Economic training. Training in the courts of traditions. I mean the guy is getting prepared. Young fella. Because daddy will never be king. Now. There's a third way. Third way for Prince Charles to become king. This is the this is the one I want to get at. The third way is if his mother woke up one day and says, I'm tired. So I'm going to abdicate the throne, the, the throne, and I'm going to turn it over to my son because I love him. And I don't want him to die not tasting. What it feels like to sit in this golden chair and give commands and they are obeyed as if they are law. He does not feel to so have people just do your bidding and, and move when you wink. The power yeah, 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 yeah. of all the, 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 the house of lords and house of commons and, 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 and even the prime minister got to get permission from you to do anything. The power Prince Charles never felt it. you serious. Let me tell you. Here's the bottom line. God's kingdom is a mystery. He is king and he got kids. All the kids are princesses and prince. Which means they are all rulers in waiting. Say it with me. Rulers in waiting. So, I'm going to go up here. I want to show you something. So here's God. He is in the invisible world. He is the ruler king of the invisible world. And he has children. Now, you were always with him. The Bible says, write this down, Ephesians 1, verse 4. He chose you, quote, in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. There wasn't an earth yet when God already had you. You existed before earth. Write it down. Help me, Lord. You existed before earth. (laughs) The Bible says he chose you long before there was an earth. So you pre-existed before the universe, before planets, before the solar system, before earth, before creation. You existed before Genesis chapter 1 everybody with me (laughs) that's why the Bible can say in the same verse you were predestined in verse 3 of that same chapter Ephesians 1 it says blessed be God the father of our Lord Jesus Christ who what's the past tense hath already already blessed you with what every single blessing you would need. But where are they? They are reserved in the heavenly realms. Why? Because there wasn't no place as to put them, because there wasn't any place made yet for them to be manifested. Oh. Do you understand? Everything you need for life and godliness were prepared before you was even manifested, and they were set in reserve in the invisible realm, the Bible says. Why? Because there was no visible realm yet. Do you get it? You and everything you need existed before there was a visible realm. That's why God told Jeremiah. When Jeremiah started complaining, God said Jeremiah, I've Called you to be a prophet to the nations. To uproot, to tear down, and to rebuild. Jeremiah said, oh Lord, you made a mistake. I can't even talk, and I'm only a child. God said, shut up. Don't say you are a child. Because before you was conceived, in your mother's womb, you were history. And before you were born, he says, you already been appointed to be a prophet. My Lord. Now watch this. So now God has children before there's a planet. God is king. I'm wrapping up now. i got to get this. So God, God, help me. God is not Queen Elizabeth. Thank you, Jesus. God says, look, I want my kids to taste rulership. But if they stay with me, they can't rule nothing up here. This is my territory. Ain't no rulers up here. But I want them, I love them so much. I want them to taste what it feels like to be in charge. So I've got to get him out of here. Out of where? Heaven. Now, see, you want to go to a place that's a demotion. Uh Uh-oh, whole new thinking. God loves you so much. He got you out of heaven. I wonder, oh, please don't misunderstand this statement. Keep the TV on. I wonder how much, how majesty loves Charlie. Serious question. For God so loves you that he got rid of you. So you could taste what daddy knows. So when you read the family album, it reads like this. In the beginning, daddy created a physical realm. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why he has to get the kids out of the spiritual realm? Otherwise, they'll never taste rulership, leadership. I want to close on a on a verse of scripture, on a, uh, a couple of verses here. Turn to, to Psalm eight. Tell you, neighbor, never feel my rulership coming up. Say neighbor boy. Daddy loves us. You know, if you understand. See, I understand the love of God, Pat. See, see man, God loves you so much. Let <laughs> me tell you something, friends. If you got a 35, 40-year-old son still in the house, something wrong. Y'all talk to me, man. You, 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 listen
1: here.
0: <laughs> I mean, you, you, now listen. If your daughter or your son is 40 years old and they're still in the house and they are working. Let me tell you something. <laughs> They are not man, they are boys. They ain't woman, they girls still. Forty year girl.
1: <laughs>
0: My daddy told me years ago, and I was talking to someone at lunch yesterday, and they repeat the same thing. My dad says, Look son, until you get your own house, you ain't a man. Now here's what he means by that. Until you have your own territory. God says, "Look, I know you like it up here, singing and dancing, pitching up and down around His throne. But until you get your own territory, you ain't no king." We want to go to heaven, jump around. What are you jump around the throne for? What are you doing? God don't want no choir. He got angels, man. He's very clear about why he made us. Let them have dominion. And he specified over the earth. He's trying to give you leadership, man. He's trying to give you rulership. He's trying to give you authority. What do you want? You just want to sing. What would you do if your son and daughter spent all day in the house for 45 years just singing? Come on, be honest, man. What would you do as a parent Let me tell you something. There'll be two songs in the house. Go away little girl. Go away little girl. (laughs) Just go away. And yet we want to do that with God. Just go to heaven and sing. Guess what? You used to be in heaven. God got you out. Why? Because he loved you so much. He wanted you to experience what daddy experiences. You know, some of you men who have grown up, some of you are still not grow up yet, but those who grew up and got your own house, how often have you said, boy, I realize what my daddy used to go through now? Remember that saying? Oh, I got to pay bills now. I got a water bill, light bill, phone bill, children bill, tuition bill, all kind of bill. And you start appreciating what your father must have gone through. That's what God wants. Psalm 8 says, look at the first statement. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is what? Your name and what? Write the word majestic down. The word majestic is what? It has to do with monarchy. David saw something and he says, My Lord, my God. This thing is about monarchy. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Next statement. He says, For you have set your glory, Where? Above the heavens. What's he doing? He's looking at the stars now, the skies and the stars, and the planets. He says, My, look at your nature of them. Read on. He says, And out of the mouth of children, you have what? Ordained praise to do what? Steal your enemies and what? And silence your foe, and what else? And the Avenger. Okay, we got a problem here. Listen carefully. He says, God. Oh, Lord, when I look at all this creation, he says, man, look at the stars and the beauty. He says, but I see something. You have made children. This is not referring to children's church. This statement is referring, about referring to you. He's talking about every child that came out of God. He says, God, you made all this creation. But it was for your children. Why? Because you wanted your children to praise you with perfect praise. Just take me for a couple more minutes. Don't miss this, please. I beg you. Because the devil don't want you to get this part. God created the seen world, the invisible world. The 500 million planets. 500 million galaxies within the 500 million planets. And this wonderful array of, of, of stars and Milky Ways and, and black holes. And, and the awesome beauty of the constellations of stars. The beauty. Everything you see there. God says, all of that was because of you, kids. God don't need no stars. And David says he did that because... He wanted his children to praise him perfectly. And when they did, they would still, they would shut up the mouth of who? Read it. The what? The Avenger. Not Avengers. Singular, right? See it? And what else? The foe. Singular. Not foes. Foe. And then it says what? The what? Plural. What is it? The enemies. Now. Who's he referring to? He's referring to Lucifer. <sighs> there was an angel in heaven who was in charge of what? Praise and worship. His name was Lucifer. This, this, this creature was kicked out by God. Cast out. So now, God has no one in heaven, so to speak, quote unquote, to lead the worship. David says, ah, I see it. I see it. Daddy had some angels in charge of this thing. But what Daddy did was Daddy made a decision. He don't want no more angels to lead worship. What he wants now is his own kids. Uh, oh Jesus, I love you. Now, why does he say, "Out of the mouth of the children, my own image shall I perfect praise"? Hey boys, say perfect praise. Write it down, quick, quick, quick. Write it down. Perfect praise. The word perfect praise is referring to hmm, perfected. It's referring to mature. Okay, why couldn't Lucifer offer perfect praise? Because Lucifer... Oh, let me Jesus. Lucifer was created to praise God. So he could not offer perfect praise because it wasn't something. Generated from a love relationship, he was like a machine. That's all he could do. He was hired, made, wired to worship. That's why Lucifer could turn around and hate God. He didn't love God. He had a job. Okay. Let me try a good example. If you love your boss, I mean really love your boss, you would do anything for your boss, you love your boss. Hold your hand up. Look look around, look around, look around. Look around. Isn't Isn't that incredible? Now you go every morning to this place. You get them eight hours a day. But you don't like them. Now that's interesting. Why? Because you don't work there because you love your boss. You work there because they pay you. And sometimes they don't pay you enough. And you feel upset. But you go because you got some bills. In other words... You do for them what you do not because of a love relationship, but because you have to go there to get this money. Now, that's not perfect service. That's a contract. Ain't no, ain't no emotions in that. You don't feel deeply about your boss. God says, look. I am going to change the situation in my kingdom. I'm going to have some kids. And my children. They're going to praise me. Not because. They have to. They're going to have perfect praise. They're going to praise me because they love me. And when the avenger sees that, it's going to Mm -hmm.
1: shut him up. And then all
0: the Angels have fell with him. It's the enemies. It's going to make them ashamed. Jesus said to his disciples, Why do you obey me? He says, here's why you should obey me. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Not of you are afraid of me. If you... Someone said they love you, you should think that they would give you something to prove it. Am I right? Yeah. Now there are some people who say, you know, I only stay with you because of these children. Now what kind of relationship that is now? You can think about that now. In other words, any night now you could get poisoned. In other words, everything I do in right now is because of the contract. Not because I love you. That's not perfect marriage. That's a contract. God says, I want a family and I want a relationship built on love. You know why you shouldn't sin this week? Not because no one or not because someone's watching. You know why you shouldn't do wrong this week? Not because you might be found out. Do you you know why you should never sin again? Not because someone might find out. It should be because you love God so much you don't want to do anything to interrupt that relationship. Which means you'll never be found out if you're going to find out. Get caught loving God. How's that for a change? I caught Him praying. I caught Him reading the Bible. I caught you worshiping. Let them catch you doing something good. That's worship. He said, I perfected praise through the kids. Jesus told a woman. You remember, Jesus told a woman at the well. A woman was sitting there. Jesus said, uh you all worship in the, in the mountains. And the Jews, they worship in the temple. He said, but you don't know what you're worshiping. She said, oh, <laughs> yes, we Samaritans, we, we, we got the right kind of worshiping. And I said, he said, no. He says, the day has come. When they that worship God, Worship him in the right spirit. Listen to him now. He says, For the father is seeking. God says, look, I don't want nobody coming to this place because they have to. Boy, it's Sunday, here we go again. It's Sunday. I gotta go. It's Sunday. I gotta pay my dues. God says, stay home. Watch baseball, football, stay home. They say no chore. I don't want you to come here because it's Sunday. Come here because you love me. Say like David, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. My feet will stand inside that door. Oh, Jerusalem. David said, clap your hands in this place and shout to the Lord. I mean, the guy was excited to be in God's presence. God says, I don't want your praise if you don't love me. We kind of make it through songs, don't we? we well, get through this song so I can hurry and go home and get through this song. How many of you ever, ever been in love to the point where you can't come off the phone tonight? Now, don't you lie to me. How many hours you spend on the phone talking to that person, and then you're sitting there going, you still there? Yeah. Another 10 hours, another 10 minutes. You still there? Yes. You ain't talking, just just don't want to leave each other. Even the phone, you don't want to hang up. Two o'clock in the morning, you still there? Yeah. Still there. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Two o'clock in the morning, you still there? Yeah. Why can't you be that way about God? Lord, you still there? Still up in the night with God? God, I'm still here. Lord, you still there? Still there. That's it. That's it. You, you still there? No, oh, you ain't there no more. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, this is this, this is wonderful, isn't it? I. This is wonderful, isn't it? There's so much in this book. Uh, let's just finish these two verses and then I got to go. I'm hungry. <laughs> I beat up from six o'clock, man. All right. My, from the lips of children and infants you have ordained, what? Perfect praise because of your enemies, the silence, the foe, and the avenger. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, and the line Verse three, please, the work of your fingers, The moon and the stars, the planets and everything else, which you have set in the place in the heavens, I say to myself, what is mine that your mind is full of him? He said, when I look at the planets and the stars, I say to myself, you mean God, all that was because he was on your mind? This is heavy now. He says, the reason why you made the stars, the planets, the galaxies, the Milky Ways, All them stars tonight. He said the reason why he made them was because you were on his mind. Now, let's just let's just get get the real message here. God's in heaven with you. You are a spirit. He's a spirit. You're all together. God said, but you can't rule nothing. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to create a new realm called the visible world. I'm going to make millions of planets and stars, get a good balance. One of them, I'm going to put around the sun. Third planet from the sun, I'm going to put some nice life. Now, I'm going to put everything in place. So I could have a place to get you all out of heaven. So you could have a place to rule and be king. And it says here, He did this because we were on His mind. Now look at the next statement. What is man that thou art mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him or care for him? You have crowned him with glory and honor. You made him rule over the works of what? Of what? Verse 6, of what? Look at verse 3. When I consider the heavens, read out loud, the work of your What? Fingers, your hands. Verse 6, you made him to do what? Rule over the works of your hands. Now, <laughs> you get it? And I enjoy the Bible so much, I tell you, it's sweet. God says, look, the, work is my, the works of my hands is all these things I created, the heavens and the earth. Then it says here, he made you just to rule over it. The purpose for creating you is to get you out of heaven so you could rule a place where he doesn't rule. Holy Ghost, slow down. Slow down, Holy Ghost. Too much in my head. You you bombard me too much. Slow down. They can't take it, Lord. all right I'll give you one thing. And then close on a donkey. Jesus said. No, can't give that to you. Too heavy. Okay. Go somewhere else. I'll deal with that later. Too heavy for you. No, can't take that. Okay. Oh, man. I'm writing a book. You can read the book. But let's make one thing clear. That as long as you are with God. Okay, let me try another way. You remember when they asked Jesus a question. They said, teach us to pray. Can you teach us to pray? He said, I'll teach you how to pray. His first statement is important. What's the first statement? Who's where? That's an important statement. Don't rush that statement. Got to locate him. You see, if he's on earth, you are in trouble. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Understand it. Every word of Jesus is calculated. He said, now, here's how to pray. And you better make sure that God ain't on earth when you pray. Because he, if he's here, you ain't got no authority. He said, when you begin, your concept of prayer must be, he don't live here. Lord have mercy. That means if he don't live here, I'm in charge. That's why he said, whatever you bind, where on earth, heaven says what? Find it. Whatever you loose on earth. Heaven says what? Loose it. Heaven says we can't get in, involved down there. This week, thank God you ain't dead. Just thank Him. This week, thank God you live on earth. Hallelujah. Because if you go to heaven, like some of your friends have done, ain't nothing to do. Prince Charles spends all of his life traveling around the world cutting ribbon. Click. 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 What are you doing? Cut ribbon, man. Click. I open things. Click. I don't rule nothing. I just... Do you get it? You don't want to live like... That's why... ah, God sees you being on earth so important that He created healing Healing stops you from going to heaven. Got it. See, God don't want you coming. He said, look, I'm going to you. When you get sick, I'm a to you. Why? Stay down there. That's where the action is, brother. Stay there. Don't come here too fast. You keep praying to go to heaven. You're leaving the place where you got power. Do you understand? You are a rare people. Not everybody can understand this kind of teaching. See, you all want to shout and scream and spit and die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. See, all of that and you still ain't run nothing. You don't own nothing. You ain't got no power. This thing is about power. It's about authority. It's about dominion. And God said, if you get it right in your head, it's easy in your hands. You know what makes me so bold, ma'am? I understand this. Alright. Finally. Don't close your Bible. Finally. This is final, final. This is my only final, actually. I want to send you home with the power of the king. Your kingdom. It says here, in Matthew 21. And Jesus said. To his two disciples. Verse 1. And this happened 2,000 years ago. On this Sunday. He says go. To the village ahead of you. And. And. At once you will find a donkey. Tied there. With her coat. By her. How many donkeys? Two donkeys. What kind of donkeys? There's a mother donkey and there's a baby donkey. Alright. Read on. Untie them. Bring them to me. Verse 3. If anyone says, hey boy say anyone. 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 If anyone says anything to you. Everybody say anything. Say it loud. If anyone, as anyone says anything to you, you are to tell them that the Lord, what kind of elder, needs them. Everybody say them. I don't need one of them donkeys. I want both of them. And he will Send them right away. Everybody say happy Palm Sunday. Sit up straight now. Let's go home. All right. Look at me. How could Jesus send for people donkey, and the donkey had to come? I'm talking to you now. Listen carefully. He uses a word. What's the word? Lord. What is Lord? Owner. Okay. Wait a minute now. See. This donkey belonged to these people. The kingdom is a powerful way to live. When you understand the king, and that the king owns everything, then whoever holding on to it at the time, think they own it. I believe Jesus passed that village many times looking at his donkeys. But another man was fattening them up, feeding them up, cleaning them up, protecting them, making them fat and happy. Just listen. See, Let me tell you something, friend. Listen carefully. In a kingdom, everything belongs
1: to the king. Ah.
0: That's why in my family album it reads the earth is the Lord's. What's the Lord's? How much? Yeah. On the foot? You don't understand. is Monday when your alarm clock go off and you keep that front door open you going out a place where everything was owned by your papa. Listen. Now, how long was Jesus on earth? 33 and a half years. When did he need the donkey? The last week of his life. So, (laughs) so the donkey being there Long time, but he didn't need it yet. Everything that you were born to have exists now. Somebody else is keeping it for you, painting it up for you, (laughs) fattening it up for you, they even warming up the seat for you. They think they can going to be there forever, but they ain't sitting in your chair on the job. Now, you pass that chair for days, for years. Keep passing it. And God say, that's your chair, you know. It's just that it ain't time yet. But the Bible says there will come a time. Oh, Bill, Don't worry about what's yours. Because whoever holding it on to you, it ain't theirs. It's what you call caretakers. He says, and when it's time, if they say anything, <laughs> no, 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 no. Again now, because I'm hungry. Really. he says if. Anyone say, marry the Bible. There's some people who you've been waking with for 20 years. They always got something to say about why you ain't gonna get promoted. Why you ain't, this job ain't gonna work. This business ain't gonna make. God said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. It doesn't matter who's holding on to your property. When the time is right, The property hears the voice of the Lord. Oh, come on, you can clap clap your hands, praise God. The donkey knew its owner. So the man who was keeping the donkey thought he owned the donkey. People you know think they own what they get. And then the final word is there are two donkeys. There's an old donkey and there's a new donkey. Now what's an old donkey? A coat, the Bible says specifically, on which never man rode. I like this. There are some things that are old stuff that belongs to you. People was keeping them for you. They do not use them, but they're yours. Like property. Like buildings. Hello? You're supposed to inherit some things that people was using. That's the old donkey. People don't ride that for you. They don't do that, fix it up, they break it in for you. But then there are also some stuff that they never use That's yours. And they can't use them. And they know why they can't use them. I mean, they had this thing for years and they never use it. (laughs) Some of you want to buy new cars. God said, no. No, there's some cars that are already bought, but not used. And it's yours. Wait on the deal I got coming for you. Because I can talk to the car, and the car can hear the name of the Lord. And somehow it can connect with you. And someone can say, look, I got this car, and I leave in town, and I get rid of this. And the price, I know the price is 10% of the value, but I got to give it to you.
1: This tape is a product of the resource production department of Bahamas Faith Ministries International, a multifaceted ministry touching the four corners of the globe. If you would like more information about the ministry, products, conference schedules, brochures, catalogs, or ministry travel information, please write to Bahamas Faith Ministries International, the Diplomat Center, P.O. Box N9583, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, destiny is your choice. What you do not know could and is destroying the potential of your life. It's your choice. It's your destiny.